This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who probably shouldn't be so surprised about so many things a quarter of the way into the season, but here we are. I'm your host, Dylan Dubrovsky. With me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot, the IPP MVP, the poobah of prognostication himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 327 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, which, for the first time, we're going we're gonna to try something new today that I don't believe we've done in 326 other official tries, <laughs> plus all the bonus, plus everything. This is a first in fantasy hockey podcasting, maybe. I'm, I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah, I think uh, you're going to be looking back 10 years later and asking, where were you when you first heard episode 327 of Keeping Carlson? Yeah, the plan for today is Brian and I are going to take a look back on the first, I said quarter of the season. I guess we're already pretty much halfway through the year. We're definitely halfway through the fantasy season for anyone who has a playoffs coming up to end their season. Uh, We're going to be looking through everything that's happened so far and give, each of us are going to give our biggest fantasy surprise of the year on each team. We'll see where we agree. Brian and I haven't even discussed this. We've kept our notes separate for once, so we're going to see if we agree or disagree on more teams in terms of who is the player on that team that we're the most surprised by what they've done so far. And this could be a positive surprise or a negative surprise. So we'll talk it all through before we get to it. Of course, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's no surprise that they're once again the number one website for fantasy hockey content in the world. I go there every single day. Awesome articles. They have really smart people writing these articles, keeping up to date on anything going on. Daily ramblings. Plus, the tools at Frozen Tools cannot be beat. Eric does an amazing job there. So definitely check it out, DauberHockey.com. But okay, Brian, with that, let's just go alphabetical order. Start off in Anaheim. Who is the player on the Ducks that surprised you the most so far this season? Okay, yeah, I'm really excited to start this off by mentioning somebody whose name did not come up in any of our preseason talk. In fact, I've got two guys whose names did not come up in any of our preseason conversations about Anaheim. I think the biggest surprise there through this nearly half season of the 2021 NHL regular season so far is that Max Comtois is leading the Anaheim Ducks in points and goals. He's got nine goals in 25 games. Not only is he leading the team in goals, but like by a mile, a country mile, he has four more goals than anyone else. Uh, Comtois is also second in power play points despite playing largely on the second unit. So he's having a heck of a season. And I guess 
The flip side of that is that the rest of Anaheim is not scoring a ton. And so the obvious question is, can can Comtois keep this up? Should everybody just be catching up to him or should he be falling back? I mean, right now, he only has 64 career games under his belt. And in those games, he's got 16 goals on 87 shots, which is an 18.5% career shooting percentage. This year so far, he's shooting 20%. So it's actually pretty reasonable. Uh, it's a pretty wild shooting percentage, though, for someone who doesn't do a chunk of their scoring on the power play. Usually, if a player like Max Comtois has a shooting percentage above 15, 16, 17%, it's because they're doing damage with high percentage shots on the man advantage. Max Comtois, he doesn't need any of that, apparently. He doesn't even need to, like, it doesn't take a lot of shots in, in any scenario. Fewer than two shots per game on average. Just a really picky shooter, and I guess a smart picky shooter with the way things are going so far. So that is my big surprise on the Ducks that Comtois is leading the team in points and goals. Elon, are you equally surprised? Yeah, that was my choice as well. So uh, I wonder if you and I are going to have a lot in common here, but that's one for one with the Ducks. Yeah, I actually did an interview on the Stat Attack podcast, like a couple Stat Attack hosted by obviously John Newhold and Marcus. And I did an interview with Marcus and he asked me, who is a player rostered in 50% or fewer couple teams that I think is the one I'd like the most? And it was like a tough question because most of the couple managers are smart. And if a player is not rostered on 50% or fewer of teams, that means that they're probably not that good. But I noticed Max Comptop was there. He was my answer. And since then, He's been like especially good. So anyone who listened to that and picked up Comtois is happy. And yeah, we'll see if he can keep it up. But, uh, you know, Ricard Raquel is heating up, which is obviously good news, but obviously not a surprise. He's landed just on the same point paces last year so far. Like John Gibson, I was thinking maybe I'd say he's a surprise from how badly he's doing, but actually his save percentage is the same as last year so far as well. 904 save percentage. Yeah, Comtois is definitely the surprise at this point in the season for me. I guess for Gibson, for me, it's a surprise that he hasn't bounced back. It, we talked last week about the the types of shots he seems to be facing and how fewer are making it to the net. And I just feel like it would help if the, the Ducks let some more volume come to him and let those low percentage shots actually get through, uh, which they they used to. And he used to turn them away and, and boost his save percentage that way. But now that doesn't seem to be the case. The other honorable mention I want to make on Anaheim, uh, starting off hot here, Isaac Lundestrom is tied for second on the Anaheim Ducks in goals behind Max Comtois. He has five goals in 18 games. Just someone to watch. I saw him playing in three-on-three overtime sometime earlier this week. I can't remember the game now. But man, did he look good. So I think Lundestrom, Comtois, and Raquel... You can you can fact check me. We're all playing on a on the same line sometime recently, and that could be a, a fun group to watch. Lundestrom, nothing on the first twenty five shots of his career since twenty eighteen. He's had a couple cups of coffee before finally sticking this season. Now five goals on his last twenty five shots, so it's not going to stay. But he looks like he's got some skill. Yeah, I mean, definitely a deeper cut, but you want to look at Lundestrom. In the last game that Anaheim played, uh, it was Lundestrom with Raquel, and it looks like Derek Grant or Sam Steele, they were switching around, and Comtois was playing with Getzlaff and Terry. Anaheim has a good schedule next week, so you might want to stream in a duck to get that Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Brian and I plan to be grabbing Getzlaff in one of our joint leagues as soon as the clock strikes midnight. Okay, let's go to the Arizona Coyotes, uh, and I guess I'll start here. We're going to take turns. Brian, this is going to be a boring one. There are two players that we've been drooling over this whole season, and so I'm not going to stop now. Uh, uh, there's Jacob Chikrin, who has been amazing, and his goal yesterday in the 5-2 win over Minnesota brought him to 17 points in 24 games for a 58-point pace, along with all the 
peripherals. He's been so great. But you know what? It's not a huge surprise for me. Well, I'm guessing not for you because we knew he was going to be good. Maybe I didn't expect it to be this good. But I can't talk about Arizona and not talk about Jacob Chicken. That's the rule of keeping Carlson this year. But I've got to give my answer to Connor Garland. Of course, he leads the team in points with 22 points in 23 games for a 77-point pace. Last season, he struggled to get consistent ice time. This year, he's averaging over 18 minutes per game. He paced for 47 points last year over an 82-game pace. So he's like destroying that. Maybe some of us thought that like Garland is a player with some potential to maybe be fantasy relevant, but I don't think anyone thought he was going to be this good. So he's been a huge surprise. Plus, he's only shooting 11.9%, which is below last year. So it's not even... I know there's like a lot of markers you could look at for like lucky variants, but at least shooting percentage isn't one of them. So I'd imagine he'd be able to keep this up. So, man, Connor Garland, just like all of a sudden, he went from a guy who probably wasn't drafted in most leagues to a must-own in all formats, even shallow ones. Yeah, and for next year too, because I agree with you that Connor Garland, the, the surprising piece... I mean, is half that he's on this 78-point pace. But the bigger surprise to me is that this pace looks sustainable. Connor Garland has more minutes, four more minutes a night this season compared to last year as a sophomore. He has six more minutes compared to his rookie season two years ago. Connor Garland is just coming into his own. His career IPP is at 75%, which is above average involvement. So because it's that high now... I'm actually not that concerned. And to me, that's actually a sign like, hey, this guy is actually a pretty good creator at being involved in offense. He's got three shots a night on average, although I'm starting just to worry a little bit. He only has 15 shots in his last nine games, only zero or one shot in five of those last nine. So it's a really strange streak for Garland compared to his start to the year when he was hanging five, six, seven shots every so often. So I'd, I'd like to see that come back. And we've seen some weird minute dips too. But if he just does get to keep the minutes that he's been given so far, and if he can find his shooting touch again, that would be really nice. And I think he really legit is a 70 plus point player this year. Arizona as a whole, we've talked about their offense really showing up this year. They're changing their their tactics from just being a shutdown team to being uh, willing to, to make moves and take risks on offense. Your point on Shikrin, like, yeah, that's great. He's having a good season. I know it's mandatory that you bring him up, but I not as big a surprise as Garland, right? We saw it coming that Ekman Larson might not quarterback the top unit and that there was this opportunity for Shikrin, who'd looked promising already. So Brian, you also picked Garland as your surprise in Arizona? Yeah. Wow, two for two. Okay, let's see if we can keep it going in Boston. Who do you have on the Bruins who just lost a heartbreaker today? one nothing to the Devils. They got shut up by Scott Wedgwood. Who had that on their bingo card? But okay, who is your biggest surprise aside from Scott Wedgwood uh, shutting them out? I'm not sure this is going to be so much a who, but it's going to be a what. And that's that the blue line leader with Tory Krug out of the picture in Boston, the blue line leader in power play points is Charlie McAvoy with just four points on 14 Boston power play goals. Compare that with Tory Krug last year, who had 28 power play points on 57 Boston power play goals in 1920. So he was in on half of them. Uh, we've seen McAvoy on the top unit. We've seen Grizzlick on the top unit. Neither of them getting in on nearly as many goals as Tory Krug did from that position. I guess this would be a place I could mention a who. Nick Ritchie has stepped in as the fourth top power play point getter in Boston. He leads the team in power play goals with five, but he hasn't had a power play point in his last five games and only two power play points in his last 11. So he might be cooling off a bit. And there's just this this vacuum with Tory Krug gone. You've got Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak cruising along. 
and nobody else has really come in to consistently pick up those power play points that Krug has left behind. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I also had Richie as my answer. Wait, was your answer McAvoy or Richie? I want to see if we're still in sync. Or you went with a what and just blew it all up for us so we can't be in sync. I've got a couple what's here. So you can <laughs> share yours and we can see if it was close enough. Okay, yeah, I did have Richie because I did not expect him to finally usurp Jake DeBrusque and be someone who can actually be productive on that power play. But like you said, yeah, he's cooled off a bit. Only one goal in his last five games, and that wasn't even on the power play. But still, I mean, Richie's someone that you want to have on your roster. Plus, I like that he's on the second line, right? So it's not just like a power play specialist that's toiling in the bottom of the roster. He's playing with Krejci for whatever that's worth. Uh, honorable mention, by the way, to Tuka Rask's 902 save percentage in 13 games. I think we were expecting Rask to be one of these elite goalies that, yeah, he doesn't give you that many games play compared to other goalies but when he does play he's going to be golden not so much this year he was good today against the devils but yeah i'm a bit surprised that rask has fallen so far we'll see if he could bounce back in the second half but okay let's go to the buffalo sabers and i'm gonna have to end the streak of positive surprises here because there's no one that's been a positive surprise for me like maybe you could say victor olafson who i thought might fall off but he's managed 17 points in 22 games for a 63 point pace which ties him for the team lead in points with eichel and ryan hard at least that was going into today but now i'm gonna go negative here for me it's between two guys we've got rasmus Dahlin with only 10 points in 22 games after he put up a 56 point pace last season we expect him to only get better as a 20 year old but it's gone in the opposite direction uh but the fact that he's 20 years old means i'm going to give him a slight pass while i won't say the same for taylor hall who's been a huge bust so far only 13 points in 22 games for a 48 point pace i thought a 66 point pace on arizona new jersey last year was disappointing so imagine my chagrin now that he's doing even worse than that i wish he could put up a 66 point pace rest of the way he got back on line with eichel yesterday at least in the 5-2 loss to the islanders uh, not that it led to anything and i'm sure it'll likely change so not much promise for taylor hall right now he's definitely been a surprise to me in the negative way poor taylor hall in new jersey there was talk that you know he wasn't really uh, doing his part pulling his weight then he goes to arizona and he does well and the team does well but it doesn't actually look like it and it was like did taylor hall cause it cause our team to collapse and then he goes to buffalo betting on himself on a one-year deal passing up some longer-term options And the team crumbles around him. And of course, he started his career in Edmonton, where that team uh, was constantly crumbling and continues to constantly crumble around those stars. So I wonder at what point he starts internalizing this and taking it really personally and thinking he's the problem. Taylor, it's not you. I swear. I think it's everybody else. And maybe the teams you're choosing to go to. So think a little harder about that, maybe. But Elon, it was really nice of you to only name two players on Buffalo for you to be disappointed in, because I could name 20 Maybe even 21, if I add uh, Jonas Johansson in there after he lost to the Islanders 5-2 to two today. Everybody sucks in Buffalo this season. Do you know that the 5-on-5 five five goal-scoring leaders heading into Sunday's game were Curtis Lazar and Tobias Reeder? With wow. four apiece and Sam Reinhardt. So Sam Reinhardt was, was with those guys. Uh, I don't know if this is Sunday or Saturday. He had a, heading into Saturday's game when Reinhardt scored one. So then he's up there alone with five, but Curtis Lazar and Toby Reader have as many goals as uh, Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel combined. Oh no. Yeah, Curtis Lazar. And so you go down the list of scorers in Buffalo. You've got Lazar, uh, Reinhardt, Lazar, Reader, Eric Stahl, Riley Sheehan. Dylan Cousins, that's nice. And then you finally get to Eichel and Hall with just one five-on-five goal each. Eichel last scored at five-on-five on on January 28th, 13 games ago now. 
Taylor Hall got his first five-on-five goal in his 21st game in Buffalo that happened just a few days ago. It is a disaster. They had a really discouraging loss, and uh, there was a lot of talk during the game that this could be it for the coach. And if it is, I like. I feel like this team still has good bones, right? Like, I feel like there's still some good pieces. If somebody can come in and light a spark and turn this thing around, there is an opportunity to salvage these guys. Like, Elon, if a new coach came in, would you think that Eichel and Hall's value gets bumped? Or are you going to wait two, three, or four games to make sure? I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to read too much into a new coach coming in. Like, I mean, the players still have to be on the ice and doing something, and I haven't been seeing it. But obviously, we'll we'll wait and see. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I also saw news that uh, Kevin Adams was saying he's going to be trying to make a trade. It was like I think the quote was like aggressively uh, looking for a trade because they're not satisfied with the product on the ice. So we'll see what the Sabers can do. Trade away all your picks. Get me someone that's going to help my Taylor Hall because I've got him on a couple of my fantasy teams. So I did trade him for Shea Theodore somehow in one of my leagues last week, and I'm very happy to have been able to dump Hall there. Though if it turns him around that'll be fine because i've got him in the couple which is what really matters uh so brian who was your official pick there should i not even be asking that because you've got 20 <laughs> picks for this team my official pick was curtis lazar what <laughs> okay all right so we're not uh in sync there let's go now to calgary who is your biggest surprise on the flames uh so yeah i'm not i could go behind the bench and see that daryl sutter being rehired to me that was a stunner like, I can't believe it's been so long since he's coached, let alone coached in Calgary. And when he left, things were good, but he just wasn't taking the team to the... Actually, there were there were a lot of... I remember, it was dramatic. It was actually around the time when I did my first podcast. This was like over a decade ago now, before keeping Carlson. Anyway, um, so that's, that's crazy. I'm interested to see what he does. But I, the biggest surprise to me in Calgary so far is that Yuso Valamaki still has not gotten a top power play look. You've got Rasmus Anderson hanging on there on the top unit with just five power play points in 25 games, which is good for a power play point pace of 16 in an 82-game season. Very meh. And the whole power play as a whole looks like it could use a little bit of infusion. So why not give Yuso Valamaki a shot? So I So that's my surprise, that Anderson hasn't worked out they haven't gone to Giordano. I guess everything's up in the air again now, to some extent, with Daryl Sutter coming in, a new coach, new eyes, whatever. But to me, it's uh, like I've seen Valamaki. He's looked fun and dynamic at times, and I would just love to see him get a longer look. And I'm disappointed and surprised that he hasn't yet. Well, I mean, we have a new coach, like you said, so maybe it's all up for grabs. And, you know, we never know what's happened behind the scenes. Like maybe Valamaki's had lots of shots at practice and hasn't been able to succeed there. But I definitely agree with you that the way Rasmus Anderson has been playing on the top power play may not last. He already got bumped for a couple of games. A couple, I remember it was like two, three weeks ago. So we'll see now what happens with Sutter behind the bench. Uh, I didn't go with Valamaki. I actually found like most of the Flames point paces are kind of what I was expecting going into the year. No huge surprises. But I ended up landing on Matthew Kachuk, who is a little bit disappointing this year so far only 19 points in 25 games that's a 62 point pace down from his 72 and 79 point paces in his previous two seasons I didn't expect Matthew Kachuk to like decline this year I thought he'd continue to be just as good if not better but uh, he does have nine points in his last eight games highlighted by a three assist game in that 7-3 win over the Sens on Thursday so it seems like he's trending back up closer to what we're used to which is where I'll bet he'll land by season's end so if you've been disappointed in him so far I feel like better times are coming in the second half of the year i agree i'm not that concerned about matthew kachuk he's a great reliable player and i think uh you know at even strength he hasn't been 
as awesome as usual, but I don't think his line mates have been quite as good as they usually are either. And then on the power play, um, yeah, I mean, he's hanging in there. He's doing everything he should, and his point rates there seem to be holding up just fine. So I think he just needs a bit of a uh, a jab in the arm, shoulder, wherever. Well, like uh, I so. said, he's already got, he's already done it, right? He's yeah. already starting to trend up after a exactly. slow start. So I think it's gonna be fine. But I was just saying, I had to pick someone who's been a surprise to me so far, and I looked yeah. at his numbers. I didn't expect it to be so low. All right, Brian, Carolina, uh, I guess it's my turn to pick my person first. And I feel like this one is really easy. I'll be very surprised if you disagree, though it sounds like you're sometimes going off the board with oh weird, more philosophical you, answers. We're, we're talking about being surprised, but you're not, you're not picking the right kind of surprise <laughs> yeah, is exactly. the feedback you're giving me. No, I'm loving it so far. I'm just saying, like, I was really going into, like, I'm trying to zone in and think, like, what's, who's Brian going to pick? But I didn't think, you know, fourth dimensionally here. But okay, let's see if we agree. I think it's easy, like I said. Vincent Trocek, come on. I did not expect this guy to go back to his 2017-18 self this year after pacing for a paltry 50 points in the past couple of seasons each. But here we are. Trocek is riding a four-game point streak going into today. So I wrote that note uh, before Carolina's game versus... Uh, Florida. Versus Florida, where Carolina won 4-2. to And let me guess, Trocek did something. Yeah, Trocek, another goal. A power play goal. This guy is on fire, right? Uh, so now that make that a five-game point streak. Sits at... 13 goals and 22 points in 23 games. This is so far better than his 75-point pace in 2017-18. Like, people thought of him as, like, a huge stud then, and now he's doing even better. Plus, he's, like, up to 11 power play points, averaging almost three shots per game. His Kukupful ADP, I looked at where he was drafted in the 23 Kukupful drafts. Uh, uh, Kevin made a spreadsheet of, like, averaging out the average draft position of every single player. Trotrex was 205. Going into today, he's currently ranked 15 on Yahoo in the couple. So you did not get better value than if you picked Vincent Trocek. I, I'm like very excited for him, but I'm also very disappointed in myself for not seeing this coming at all. I wish I would have grabbed him in all my leagues. Yeah, and if you did grab him, here we go. Uh, here it comes, Elon, the first cold water <laughs> of the show. I don't think what he's doing. I mean, he's look, he's he sucks. Drop him. Season. No, he's having an amazing season and a lot of it is going to hold and totally surprising, right? At, at five on five, nothing surprising is happening. He's pacing. He's like eight points at five on five over what? 23 games is on like a 30 point pace there. But his power play production is just off the charts. He's been on the top unit almost all year, which is fantastic and refreshing and good to see. Now up to 11 power play points in 23 games, which means he's pacing for nearly 40 power play points on the season. And good for him. He's just bombing away. He's doubling his best power play point scoring rates ever that he's seen in Florida. But I don't know that I can really get with Trocek keeping up a 40 power play point pace through the whole season, which means instead of seeing him continue at the 78-point pace, maybe he's going to be, like, if you take his 5-on-5 baseline as being 30 points and you give him another 30 power play points on the season, that's still a lot of power play points, and that only gets him to 60 points. So, look, I know this is not popular, but I am going to suggest that if you have Vincent Trocek and you've been loving what he's giving you, it's fantastic. Please enjoy all you want but also be prepared for there to be a fall-off in his power play goal scoring at some point. At least he's still going to get you three shots a game. His floor seems like 60 points this year. Hopefully he can still break 70. But that's my caveat on Vincent Trocek. 
Fair enough. I mean, yeah, maybe he's not going to keep up this pace, but I think he's still going to be super valuable the rest of the way. Just his deployment, he's on the top power play. That was the problem. In Florida, he had that amazing year. Then the next year, he got bumped from PP1 for Mike Hoffman, and then everything fell apart. So clearly, he's very good on the power play when he has the opportunity, and now he has it. I guess, got to give an honorable mention to Nino Niederreiter, who I had completely written off. He wasn't drafted in any of my drafts, and he got another point today. I think it was a goal, yes. And so he's got now 16 points in 24 games for 55-point pace. Way to go. Nino. Uh, But Brian, okay, let's go now to the Chicago Blackhawks. Who is your biggest surprise there? I'm going to go with Kevin Lankinen. And not just Kevin Lankinen, but that Kevin Lankinen is a number one goalie in the NHL. Just when you thought Chicago had nothing left to compete, right? They relied so heavily on Crawford and Laner all season last year. That's the only way they made it to the play-ins, right? And that's the only way they got there. Uh, and then they come into this season uh, having traded Laner, having let Crawford walk, and they come in with a three-headed goalie, quote-unquote, monster of Malcolm Subban, Colin Delia, and Kevin Lankinen, who, the latter of which, is now third in the NHL in Delta Fenwick save percentage behind only Andre Vasilevsky and Marc-Andre Fleury. So that means that he is third in terms of goalies who are outperforming their expected save percentage based on the difficulty of shots they're facing. Uh, Lankinen has faced the seventh most uh, unblocked shots against two, so great for volume. He's faced the ninth most expected goals against, and he's second in five-on-five save percentage behind only Andre Vasilevsky. So Kevin Lankinen is having himself, any way you slice it, a season. And he came out of nowhere, right? Undrafted. He spent three years in the SM Liga in Finland, putting up save percentages of uh, 907. I'm just looking here, 920, 940 before crossing the pond and coming over. That sounds good. Um, oh, yeah. No, that's fantastic. And then he didn't do much in North America, though. 910. He, he played in the ECHL for Pete's sake in his first North American season and then got some 21 games in in Rockford last season. It was a 909 before coming in and just being lights out in Chicago and being that goalie backbone that they've gotten so used to relying on. So that is my big surprise for you. Elon, I, I can't imagine you you can find me a bigger one. Uh, you know what? I'm not giving it to Lankinen. And that's because I was going to do Lankinen, and then he let in six goals today against Tampa Bay. Oh, hurt me in one of my leagues. So it's like, you know what? You're done, Kevin Lankin. No, I mean, he's obviously a big surprise and with that he's the starting goalie is huge. But I'm going to throw out another couple of names. First of all, I know it's like, seems like you shouldn't be surprised, but Patrick Kane, like, is up to 37 points in 25 games. That's at 121 point pace. That was going into today, actually. I didn't look to see if Patrick Kane got any points. Of course, another assist. That's actually a bad game for him to only get one point lately. He is second in league scoring behind only McDavid with uh, 42 points. I wrote that yesterday, so he might be tied with McDavid now so sure it's like maybe lame to be surprised that a guy who I expected 100 points from to be at like 120 point pace but I mean you gotta call him out I did not expect Patrick Kane to have his best season this year I thought he'd just continue what he's been doing for the last couple of years and kind of same goes for Alex Dabrinkit who actually was my official answer here because uh, he's riding an eight game point streak going into today four game goal streak uh, like tw- 28 points in 22 games now. That's like a over 100 point pace. And he's a guy who had a disappointing year last year, right? Only 45 points in 70 games. 
games. He was bounced all around the lineup. Turns out he has pretty good chemistry with Patrick Kane. Who would have thunk it? Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year when Taves and Kirby Doc are hopefully back in the fold, and we'll see how the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, roll out their lines and if Debrinket sticks with Kane. But if he does, it seems like we've got a real superstar and someone, you know, kind of at a Vincent Trocheck level in terms of like you had to draft him a little bit earlier than Trocheck, but you're definitely getting huge returns on your like whatever 80th to 100th overall pick of Alex Debrinket this year. So I'm going to officially say Debrinket just because I'm mad at Lankin in for his bad game today. <laughs> okay, so yeah, you're you're outing yourself as being a terribly fickle fantasy manager, which is fair. Like that actually is a, a positive trait for managing a team. And but I am glad you brought up the huge performances. I mean, Patrick Kane is someone who we generally just are complacent about. It's like, yeah, he's doing his thing, but he's doing more of his thing than he ever has in his career in his age 32 season. So definitely worth recognizing to bring it. I'm not that surprised. You're not surprised he's gotten a hundred point pace. What, <laughs> okay, did you predict I, that going into the year? <laughs> yeah, maybe not a hundred points, but I, I had I had big faith in Alex. Not that big, though. To be fair, uh, Elon, is there anybody in Colorado whose faith who 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 has rewarded or the opposite of rewarded your faith in them? Yeah, you know what? Colorado's not that surprising. Before we get there, Chicago, a few other, I'm not even going to like say any numbers, but just going to throw out some names here. Like Carl Soderberg has been good lately. Like Pew Suter came out of nowhere. Like there's been a lot of surprising guys on Chicago. Like that's the team maybe with the most surprises. As you look through the yeah. list of people who are producing, it's like, who are these people? Kurashev <laughs> has been oh, fancy yeah. relevant at times. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So Colorado, the forwards are doing what you'd expect pretty much. McKinnon ranting in around 90 point paces, maybe a little bit disappointing for McKinnon, but you know, whatever. What, you can't complain too much. A Kadri and Landeskog around 60 to 65 point pace of Burkowski around a 55 point pace so nothing jaw dropping the I guess the easy positive answer here has got to be Sam Girard who's having a monster year for breakout with 17 points in 20 games for a 70 point pace and he was drafted on average 224th in the couple and he's been almost a point per game defenseman he's been amazing uh and then but I think I'm gonna go negative here just for fun because I think you went with Girard you've loved and drooled about Gerard for years but I'm gonna say that I'm very disappointed in Ryan Graves like last year he really came out as this like awesome like you know he's gonna get you some points like an amazing peripherals and he's just gonna be like this really reliable guy in multi-category leagues but he's been a total bust this year no goals only three assists in 21 games like I thought he was looking like he was gonna have the potential to be like a Darnell Nurse type in fantasy where you get this like great floor from his peripherals and like at least a 30 point pace but no Ryan Graves like anyone who drafted him he was drafted pretty high in the cup in a lot of divisions and yeah, he let them all down he's been a free agent on and off of my team in the couple throughout the season so yeah i'm gonna say ryan graves it surprises me because it really looked like he was gonna cement himself as this like 30 point big peripheral guy and he just isn't doing it totally fair that you're disappointed in graves at least the peripherals are still mostly there which they weren't at one point this season and i think he's probably due to get like a couple more points, but it is disappointing. He does have a low on-ice shooting percentage, so I wonder if he can get it back. By the way, I love how much your takes are based on trying to guess or avoid the same surprises that I'm giving. Uh, you're way off. Gerard wasn't even on my radar. Uh, you actually brushed really quickly past Ranton, who's not my surprise, but at least I want to give him an honorable mention for quietly rebounding from a subpar year last year, right? He only had an 80-point pace when we expected more. This year, he's got another minute and a half at night. It's on a 90-point pace and is shooting a ton, which is not always been characteristic of Miko Rantanen. Now he's a bigger shooter on the power play up nearly one whole shot per game on the season, which is great. But my biggest surprise, Elon, this is a this is a very quiet hidden surprise 
because Philip Grubauer has a 921 save percentage. Yeah. So on one hand, that's really surprising how great he's been. But the secret surprise beneath that is that he's actually looked pretty bad under the hood. Oh, like come on. Yeah. No, I'm going to go there. He has a negative uh, Delta Fenwick save percentage, which means he's underperforming what an average goalie would be doing in his position. Colorado actually protects their goalie fourth best in the league at five on five going by expected goals against per 60 minutes. And the only reason that Grubauer has this 921 save percentage is because he has been lights out on the penalty kill, which we know is not something we should ever get accustomed to being like to taking for granted and thinking it's going to last. That is something that varies a whole lot. Through the course of the season, you look at Grubauer's five-on-five numbers, which is where we really should be looking to find out exactly how he's doing. Grubauer ranks 31st out of 38 regular goalies in the league this year in five-on-five save percentage. That's not a fancy stat, Elon. That's just saying at five-on-five, the state of the game that you play the most time at, he ranks 31st out of 38 regular goalies. And you can imagine... The goalies below him also are very bad if I were to rhyme them off. So Philip Grubauer, I don't know, man, looking like like great position to pick up a lot of wins, but it seems like it could be a house of cards awaiting the fall. Good. Lucky for him that Francis is not around to challenge. Okay, but how was Grubauer last year in 5-on-5 save percentage in the year before, right? Like, I mean, this is a very small sample size. And yeah, maybe he's not doing as great at 5-on-5, but you can't just, like, take away his shorthanded success and be like, whatever, that's not sustainable. Like, he's obviously making up for it and having a great year overall. So, I mean, it's I'm not going to be like, wow, Grubauer, you've stunk this year. Like, I think overall he's doing very good, and it's it's harder to do well shorthanded. So I know it's, like, maybe not as sustainable. But it's it's also more random. Like, you can be a bad goalie and do really well on the penalty kill because it's just, it's like, you're talking about small sample at five on five. It's, it's minuscule sample on the, uh, on the penalty kill. I know, but I'm just saying it's harder. So, like, I think we're talking about two different things. There's one thing about trying to predict what's going to happen in the future versus, like, just giving credit. Like, if someone is doing amazing on the penalty kill, you have to be like, good for you. You've done amazing yeah, on the penalty the kill. but at the same time, if, the, if their high save percentage is based on something that you can't expect to sustain, it's like if a player, this is the equivalent of a player shooting 30% at even strength. Their goals aren't going to keep coming yeah. the way they're coming. So, Grubauer's saves are not going to keep coming the way they're coming. That's what, That's all I'm saying. I also, though, would predict that I think this uh, even strength shooting percentage is going to or save percentage is going to improve throughout the year. If I had to bet, if you want to bet on that, I would take it. I don't think he's going to end up being the 35th ranked goalie in even strength save percentage 31st. by the end of the season. 31st. Yeah. 38. Yeah. I mean, maybe not, but it's I mean, I'm it's surprising. It's like we're, I'm not I'm giving my most subtra- surprising projection. I'm giving my most surprise, my biggest surprise from what I've seen thus far, Elon. And that is my biggest surprise that he is not doing better because we've we thought he could be better when he came to Colorado. He came from Washington, crushing the league in the same measure that he's really flailing in this season. <laughs> and then last year, he looked like average when we thought he could be better. And this year, he's just going completely the opposite direction. Yeah, well, Which I think is that a surprise, Elon. Does that count as a surprise to you? I'm just more surprised by how amazing he's been in terms of fantasy value because going into the year, we thought he would be a tandem guy, but then Francois has been hurt the whole time. So Grubauer has been like one of the top goalies to roster in fantasy. So yeah, you could knock his even strength save percentage, but I think at the same time, you could say he's a surprise in how high he's ranking in overall yeah, fantasy value. I said that too. It's a double okay, surprise. Okay, I'm not arguing. Okay, it's what a fun surprise inside of a surprise. Okay, right, let's go to Columbus now. Uh, and who do you have on the Blue Jackets that's knocking your socks off? 
Yeah, in the like, maybe he's putting them back on, whatever the opposite is. It's <laughs> Oliver Bjorkstrand who knocked my socks off this year. And yeah, I'm just slowly put, putting them on my left foot, putting them on my right foot. As I see Bjorkstrand's uh, taking this huge step back as time on ice has been cut. He's down 80 seconds a game, including a smaller power play role. And Bjorkstrand hasn't seen anything approaching consistent power play one deployment since the end of January. Career low shot generation at five on five, two. And Amidst all this, good for Bjorkstrand for being on pace for 57 points. That still puts him within like 10 to 15 points of where we thought he'd be. Uh, But it's still really disappointing. And it's a surprise to be disappointed, especially when he finally took that step forward this year. You kind of just expect that to at least sustain and yet. Okay, yeah, Brian, I think I'm going to go negative as well here on Columbus. Like, if I wanted to go positive, I guess you can say that Cam Atkinson is having a nice bounce back. He's got 19 points in 26 games, uh, which is much better than his 48-point pace last year. But no, this one I think is pretty easy, and I actually wasn't going Bjorkstrand. You could have said Max Domi, which I didn't because I didn't have high hopes from going into the year. But I still think it's funny that the Habs fans were thinking that like the Habs should have been the one to not give up a pick in the trade of Domi for Anderson. Because now it just looks like, you know, Josh Anderson is like the super valuable player and Max Domi is flailing on the bottom of the roster in Columbus. So who knows how much you could blame on Tortorella. But we've seen Max Domi struggle for a while now. But no, my pick is Patrick Laine. This this stinks, right? He was finally getting his career on track in Winnipeg. He had a 33-goal, 76-point pace 2019-20 campaign, but things have not been going great in Columbus lately. He's actually pointless in his last six games after the 5-0 shutout by Dallas yesterday, and he only has four shots over his last three games. This is not looking good, Brian. In one of my leagues, the Puck Hogs League, I drafted Line in the second round, thinking he was going to be like a minimum like 75-point guy with upside for more, assuming he was going to be on the Winnipeg freaking Jets. Now he's on Columbus not shooting like on this like point drought where who knows like I wouldn't even be surprised if he even bumped off the top power play soon because that's just how Tortorella rolls like Line a has been a huge bust and I blame it all on this trade of course a little bit on Line a and a little bit on Tortorella but I don't like it yeah it's a really surprising someone in our uh, on our discord server in our in our patron keeping Carlson community on discord asked today uh, who would we prefer between Garland and Liney and I was like oh yeah Liney and then I'm like wait like he hasn't gotten a point in what feels like forever so it's 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 it was a fun question to talk further about but yeah it's been really disappointing that columbus is just i mean it's not a huge surprise right we talked or at least i talked before the season about how columbus is not going to be a place where offense thrives and you've got to put a tortorella tax on any scoring you expect and it's sad to see that that's hit New acquisitions like Domi and Liney as well. Fabio in the chat, by the way, mentioned that uh, maybe the biggest surprise, and I think he's right, is that the goaltending has just been so bad. They've they've been able to throw anyone in net lately in Columbus, and they've succeeded. And then uh, even even Bobrovsky did well there for a little while, but now it just is not working for Corpusalo. Although him. I'm not that surprised he's struggling, but I am surprised that even with Columbus's protection, uh, he's not doing that well. But I guess we mentioned uh, like four different names to surprise on Columbus where we didn't agree. Elon, because I said Bjorkstrand and you said Domi as your headliner. No, no, I said Alina as mine. 
Oh, you moved on to line A from Domi. Okay. Uh, I feel like on Dallas, we're definitely going to agree. Who is your big revelation, positive or negative, in Dallas this year? Uh, okay, I'm going to tell you who's astonishing me at this moment. So the, <laughs> the five nothing. <laughs> this segment brought to you by thesaurus.com. <laughs> so the 5 nothing win over Columbus yesterday takes the sting away from a few of the disappointments. But Brian, like you were already saying that you, we should be wary going to the season of a lot of these Dallas players who did well in the playoffs, right? So shame on you, listener, uh, if you're currently disappointed in Jamie Ben going through a cold stretch because like we told you so sorry about that but no Brian I'm gonna be positive here on Dallas which I know is hard but uh, Joe Pavelski like how could you not be a bit shocked that at this point in the year his goal versus Columbus yesterday brought him to 11 goals and 11 assists for 22 points in 19 games on the season that's a 95 point pace and this is after he put up a 31 point in 67 debut with Dallas in 2019-20 so it's bananas that he's turned this around and as a 36 year old but Brian, I, you know what? Turn off the tap. I'm going to do the wet blanket thing for you, because while I am very surprised that Joe Pavelski has 22 points in 19 games, 14 of his points came in the first seven games, and that leaves him with only eight points in his 12 games since, which is a much more meager 55-point pace since early February. And I don't want to take away from what he did in those first couple of weeks, but I'm definitely expecting him to stick closer to that 50-55-point to 55 point pace that he's been putting up since those first two weeks, rather than to keep up the overall pace that we're seeing so far. He had like seven points in his first two games, which really boosted those numbers. Totally. And we mentioned at the time when Pavelski did go on this hot run and he's continued it, a lot of it was being driven by power play success. Right now, Pavelski's 13 power play points rank him fourth in the NHL in points with the men advantage behind only Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Anze Kopitar, but maybe a little bit more about him later. Uh, they and those three guys all have between four and seven more games played than Joe Pavelski, but only one to three more power play points than him. Pavelski, of course, has been just boosted by these nine power play goals on 18 shots, uh, which obviously means he's scoring on 50% of his shots on the power play versus uh, I would be generous saying that we could expect him to score on 20% of his power play shots. Uh, So yeah, I'm not seeing anything special from Pavelski at five on five. He's actually got his lowest five on five point rates of his career this season, except for last season, which was really bad. That was a total disaster. This year is uh, just like a slightly less of a disaster at five on five. He's still pacing for about 40 points at five on five, but uh, he's going to need to pace for 20 power play points the rest of the way to be a 60 point guy the rest of the season, which seems reasonable to me. Like, I I know it's hard to part with a guy like him, but easier to part with him than Vincent Trocek. And I really, 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 really encourage you to sell because Dallas, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're a very good team. I said it. I mean, they maybe will get Tyler Sagan back at some point. I think it's like a month now and Ben Bishop will be coming back. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them like potentially like slump into the playoffs. But if they can get in, maybe be a bit of a surprise for a playoff run. But for now, yeah, I'm not going to want to rely on any of their guys in fantasy. Like Dennis Gurionov has totally disappeared, which is a bit of a bummer. Okay, Brian, we're going to go next to Detroit. But first, let's take a second to thank one of our sponsors. Hey everybody, Elon here. You know when you have a mediocre player on your fantasy team and while you clearly should have dropped him a long time ago, you just hang on and watch as everyone else gets all of the best free agent ads while you still have Zach Parisi on your roster? Nothing beats the feeling of finally letting that player go and seeing the replacement piling on the points. Well... 
I have a feeling some of you are going through the same thing with your sheets. You know who you are, having the same few pairs of sheets since just after college that you never liked, but you just keep washing and putting back on your bed every week or two. Well, thankfully, you have Kevin Carlson to tell you to drop your snoozers and our friends at Brooklinen to help you upgrade those sheets. Brooklinen was started by Rick and Vicky, who were trying to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury-level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. And they are so confident you will love their products, they even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. And Brooklinen is so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and more. And if all that isn't enough, Brooklinen is even offering a special offer to listeners of Keeping Carlson. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code Carlson, as in Eric Carlson's last name, to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code Carlson to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. Brooklinen.com and use promo code Carlson at checkout. This episode of Keeping Carlson also brought to you by MyBookie. It's gearing up to be a great march for sports and by extension, a great march to try and make some extra money with MyBookie. With March Madness right around the corner, MyBookie's offering a shot at a share of $10,000 with the My Bracket contest and it's only a single dollar entry. Plus there's a ton of NHL and NBA action on tap. And they've got a couple UFC pay-per-view cards to bet on as well. Regardless of your favorite player or team, you've got the choice from thousands of lines and prop bets on all major sports. And it's all in one place at MyBookie. So do yourself a favor. Get a head start by signing up today with the promo code Carlson, like the second word of our show's name. And they'll match your first deposit halfway up to a 1000 bucks. That's free cash credited to your account instantly on top of your deposit. The best part of MyBookie is that you always have access to the action, whether you're at home or on the go. Visit the website online or on your phone at mybookie.ag and use the promo code Carlson to grab yourself a deposit bonus. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. And if you are planning to play with my bookie, head over to responsiblegambling.org. There's a link to that and my bookie in the show notes where you can find all kinds of resources to help make sure you are playing responsibly, including uh, some pre-commitment tools that let you set a loss limit and a win limit and encourage you to stop whenever you reach those limits. Okay, thanks for that, Brian. And one team I would not recommend betting on on my bookie is the Detroit Red Wings because they think maybe you're going to get great odds. So maybe that's going to help you. But man, this team has had a terrible season. So Brian, why don't you go ahead and tell us who's surprised you the most so far on the Red Wings? Oh, like, I, I'm, I'm speechless, right? Like Bobby Ryan, okay, he leads the team in points, 52-point full season pace. Am I surprised? Eh, like 22, 13 points in 22 games. It's not that surprising. I get, like, the obvious answer, but we've talked it to death. We named an episode after it. I don't know if anyone got the the Velvet Underground reference. I hope so. Uh, But Anthony Mantha, just one point in his last 10 now, 10 points in 25 games, a 32-point full season pace from Mantha. His power play role is all over the place. Career low shot generation. He's down from three shots per game to less than two and a half shots per game, which doesn't feel like a big drop, but... Man, it feels like a big drop. So Anthony Mantha just being terrible is, it's no longer a surprise because we've already acclimatized to it uh, and put a lot of attention on it. So I guess 
my other mention, because I'm, I'm finding it hard to find a real surprise in Detroit, is that Jonathan Bernier has been a top 10 goalie this season, huge volume in Detroit, and has earned, or at least had seemed to have earned before this last week when we pumped his tires so much and then he totally let us down. Bernier seemed to have earned the role of being like straight away number one starter. We'll see if that continues when Detroit hits the ice again next week. But yeah, I guess somewhere between Ryan Mantha and Bernier, I have a, a little bit of surprise. I mean, Bernier being the starter didn't surprise me, but it did surprise me that, uh, I guess, like, we talked about him as someone you might want to add to your fantasy team. Yeah, he was on a good run, but Detroit's terrible, right? So even if Bernier sticks as the starting goalie, like, sure, maybe he could keep up what he was doing earlier in the year, but I would definitely bet against uh, relying on a Detroit goalie because this team is bad. Like you said, Bobby Ryan leading the team. And Brian, you even gave him more credit than he deserves because Bobby Ryan has 13 points in 25 games, not in 22 games. That's a 43-point pace. Uh, Yeah, but Anthony Mantha, total bust, right? He's a free agent in a lot of my leagues, and I... You know, I have him on my watch list still. We'll see if I get to a point where I even, like, unstar him on Yahoo and don't even want to see him on my watch list. But it's been a disaster. Maybe when Larkin comes back, something could happen, but I doubt it. So, okay, I agree with you with Anthony Mantha. And let's go to the Oilers now. And i got to say, I'm not very nonplussed about any of these guys. Like, yeah, Jesse Pugliarvi had his run with McDavid, uh, scored versus Calgary on Saturday, but you know, overall hasn't been that great and like not good enough for me to like put him down as my like, oh, wow, I can't believe what Pugliarvi did this year. Like he has two goals and no assists in his last seven games. So I guess I'm going to go with a negative here. Oh, wait, like, but like, obviously like McDavid's having an, an insane season, right? So I'm not surprised by it, like McDavid, but I love it and it's really cool. And I hope he just continues to win the Art Ross and he should win the Hart. I hope there's not gonna be some weird thing of like, oh, maybe he doesn't deserve the Hart trophy because of some reason, like the Oilers don't make the playoffs or whatever. Uh, anyways, so it's obviously not gonna be McDavid. We knew he was awesome. So I guess I got to go with Kyler Yamamoto, who did have a goal and assist versus Calgary on Saturday in the 3-2 overtime win, but it's still been quite the bust. Only 13 points in 26 games for a 41-point pace going into today. He was drafted 120th overall on average in the Cupville. And I don't even know how much fab I would bid on him if he were dropped at this point. Like Maybe I would go for him. Recent Oilers lines have Yamamoto uh, with McDavid, which is obviously something you want to go for. If it lasts, we'll see if it does. The Oilers, you know, it's one thing to get on a good line. It's another thing to stay on that good line and to have success there. And plus the Oilers, if they like load up their top line too much, then they might, you know, do well with dry saddle McDavid and Yamamoto, but then, you know, struggle so much the rest of the time that they have to shift things around. So yeah, Yamamoto still interests me, but definitely nothing close to what people were expecting going into the season after his great run last year. For sure. Yamamoto doing nothing is a disappointment, especially still playing with Dreisaitl, right? It's not like he has no one to play with. He has one of the best, very best players in the league and world, and it just doesn't seem to be clicking. We knew last season that the chemistry between he and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins was incredible and not sustainable, but we still thought there was enough there to to make Yamamoto worth having on your roster for most of this season. And yet, so uh, yeah, really disappointing for Yamamoto. My surprise in Edmonton this year, Elon, is actually, uh, how about Tyson Barry? I know that that's kind of a, a lame take, but if I were just to ask you, maybe you know, but I hadn't checked on his point pace in a while. What point pace do you think he's on? I think it's around like 55. Like. Oh, wow. Yeah, you nailed it. 57 point pace, nine power play points. That's basically what we predicted going into the year, I think, right? Yeah. But I I just feel like the season started off so disappointing for him. Right. And there was like, is he going to stick on the top power play? He's got nine power play points already. Everything is fine 
with Tyson Barry, which I feel is a little surprising. Like we were waiting for the wheels to potentially fall off and they haven't. He's doing uh, like his defense is still very suspect at five on five. That's not surprising, but he's, I think he's still doing exactly what he was brought in to Edmonton to do. So I think it's to me surprising that I'm not surprised by (laughs) what he's doing. Brian, if you were the GM, if you had Ken Holland's job, would you offer Tyson Barry like a contract extension right now? Or would you let him walk in free agency? I think I would let him walk, assuming that the contract extension is going to cost me, say, more than, I don't know, $6 million, and that might even be conservative. I, I feel like you could put Rasmus Anderson on the power play. That is to say, anybody on the top power play in Edmonton, and they're going to be okay. Like, maybe the, your quarterback will get 45 points, but you've got Ethan Bear, you've got Darnell Nurse, you've got Evan Bouchard coming up, who's looks really good at times, like still someone who's coming into the NHL and learning how it works. But I think there's a lot of potential there. And I would say goodbye to Tyson Barry if all he can do is run my top power play that already has McDavid and Dreisaitl on it. Yeah, so it'll be, I'll be very interested actually to see what happens with Barry over somebody. Him and Taylor Hall are both guys that signed one-year deals. Now we'll see if that turned out to be a smart decision for them or not. Okay, so we're going to go to Florida now, and I guess it's your turn to start, Brian. So who on the Florida Panthers has... Uh, startled you and astounded you. I, I shouldn't give too many away, but yeah, where are you right now on the Panthers? Yeah, slow down on the synonyms. We've got to make them last for another, what, 27 teams? Uh, Patrick Hornquist is my surprise on the Panthers. Like We were hoping for a good season from him, but 71-point season? No, that's not what I was expecting. And uh, I can't find something to tell me that he's not going to just keep this up. All season, a lot of his numbers under the hood are looking pretty healthy. Nothing really jumps out. Yeah, he's shooting a little better than he should on the power play, but a little worse, or actually a fair amount worse than he should at five on five. So I I think that might wash out a bit. Maybe he's not quite a 70-point player, but the fact that you can probably count on him being uh, like definitely over 60, hopefully over 65 points, is a long ways away from before the season when we saw opportunity and potential but I was not ready to take a very big risk on it and now I'm kicking myself for not having done that yeah I remember going into the year like when he first went to got traded to the Panthers I remember thinking oh I'll bet you he's gonna play with Barkov and Huberdo that would be so sweet but then when we saw the first like preseason lines and it was Duclair and Verhage with Barkov and then Hornfist with Huberdo and I don't know for some reason in my head I was thinking oh maybe that's not as good but like it's been more than good it's been fine it's actually pretty funny to me because remember how it used to be or maybe it still is for a lot of people that when you get traded to Pittsburgh that's supposed to be the thing that's like the best for a player right it's like oh my god this player just got traded to Pittsburgh Kasperi Captain Jason Zucker like let me get all over this person because now he's gonna play with Crosby or Malkin but like Hornfist is like getting out of Pittsburgh is what's turned his career around. It reminds me a lot of David Perron, who went to Pittsburgh. We were excited about him. He did nothing there. Finally, he goes back to St. Louis. I think there was a stop in uh, Vegas uh, around that time. But yeah, like Perron's to- totally turned his career around. So it's like not as if Pittsburgh is this like amazing place for a player to be. It's like there's other places in the league. And right now, Florida has been a great landing spot for Patrick Hornfist. Uh, we could also throw out like Carter Verhage, who's someone that no one probably even knew his name going into the year. And now he's been on the top line the whole time. And he's been pretty solid. Uh, I love what Aaron Ekblad's been doing. Uh, I'm not, you know, that surprised 
ever since we found out that he was going to get a shot on the top power play. So that was the big moment there. It was like, oh, this is going to be a big year for Ekblad, and he's totally delivered. And this isn't really someone who's done too much yet, but I'm going to throw it out there. I'm really liking Frank Vetrano as a free agent ad. So I know that's not the purpose of this episode to just give general takes like but that. We, but but we liked him that way, like for a lot of last year too, right? Like Vetrano. Are, are you? Yeah. Are you surprised that? No, no. He- this is like I'm going outside. I'm taking a step away from the surprise. Okay. And now I'm just wanted to tell my friends, the listeners of Keeping Carlson, that Vetrano's been playing on the top line with Alex Barkov lately, and he didn't get a point today. But I'm expecting him. Like he had a goal and assist, I think, on Saturday, and he's gonna, I think, continue. Like if he's on the top line with Barkov, I think Vetrano's like a great volume shooter even when he's in the bottom six and for however long he's on that top line i think you're going to want him on your roster over a lot of the other options that are available so go and grab vetrano but yeah i do agree with you that patrick hornfist is the biggest surprise this year on florida and a lot of candidates you mentioned ekblad chris in the chat is mentioning for Hagee coming out of nowhere the fact that barkov and huberdo were split as a surprise chris dreiger being apparently the number one goalie, not Bob, not Spencer Knight, Chris Dreiger. Uh, correct me if I'm saying his name wrong. Well, I, well I'm not going to correct you on that, but I think you are. It's Chris Dreiger. But I'm going to correct you that I don't think that's the case anymore. Like, it was a surprise at the time, but uh, Bobrovsky's been playing really well lately, and he's been getting more stars. Dreiger played today in the back-to-back, and he didn't do so well. They lost to Carolina, so I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised to see Bob get the next start like he has over the last week, been generally getting the starts that are not on back-to-back. So I think this uh, Bob-Dreiger controversy is starting to come to an end unless these guys can, you know, like change their fortunes once again. Yeah, I'm going to just look at my schedule yesterday because playing on the second half of the back-to-back is harder to start with. And Bob got Nashville while Drieger got Carolina. So I I don't think it's totally fair to to, to draw a big conclusion from this back-to-back. But what I I am going to say, and the reason I brought up Drieger, is that it's actually... Uh, leads to maybe the biggest surprise of all this uh, is that Florida is a top defensive team in the NHL. Joel Quenville has whipped that group into shape. They're the second best team defensively in the league at five on five behind only Montreal. They're ahead of Dallas, Colorado, who, who we mentioned earlier, and even the Islanders. So way to go, Florida, for playing a tight defensive game. And that is going to help whoever is between the pipes for them. Yeah, definitely agreed. It's tough against Carolina. They're an amazing team. But against a lot of the other teams Florida gets to play this year, uh, it's a good situation to be in. All right, let's go to L.A., and it's my turn to go first. And I got to say, like Patrick Kane... Andre Kopitar has been a stud forever, but is somehow putting up his best ever season this year. As like a 33-year-old, he's got 28 points in 23 games for a 100-point pace, currently riding a four-game point streak, including a two-goal and one-assist game versus the Blues on Saturday in the 4-3 overtime win. But even with all that said... I'm still not doing Kopitar as my biggest surprise on the team. I'm going to give that honor to Drew Doughty, who has four points in his last four games, 19 points in 23 games on the season for a 68-point pace. That's his best pace of his career so far as well. And this is after two, like, 45-ish point pace seasons that were making him look like maybe his, like, one really awesome year in 2017-18 when he paced for 60 points. That really looked like an anomaly and something he would never be able to do again. But now he's, like, blowing even those numbers out of the water. So... Anyone who drafted Kopitar or Doughty are loving life, but I would say Doughty is the one that really shocks me because I thought he was like trending in the other direction, but he's totally bounced back. Totally. Drew Doughty is also my biggest bombshell on the LA Kings because of that power play production. He and Kopitar are actually doing very similar things at five on five that they've always done, but that power play uh, has come alive, which is a drastic understatement for exactly what they're accomplishing. Drew Doughty has 12 power play points, which is good for fifth 
in the entire NHL in power play points, just behind the aforementioned Joe Pavelski on that career high 68 point pace, as you mentioned. For context, Doughty had just 14 power play points in 67 games this year, just two points away from tying that measure. And he is the biggest surprise just because Kopitar we've talked about. So it feels a little less surprising, but Doughty really flying under the radar, having this insane season. So way to go, uh, Drew Doughty and Anze Kopitar for doing big things on the power play that well, may not quite sustain, but honestly, they still look really, really great. And of course, our or in all likelihood, are giving their managers a lot better value than they would have uh, thought when they drafted them. Potentially drafted them, I guess, in certain shallower leagues. So that does LA for us. Uh, Let's move over to Minnesota, which has been a team chock full of interesting things that have happened all season long and off-season before this and the season before that. So now, Elon, after seeing what Minnesota's results have been so far this season, what bewilders you the most (laughs) from this Minnesota Wild season so far? Yeah, so first of all, I'm just going to say about Minnesota, Kirill Kaprizov is the best, and I hate myself for not drafting him anywhere after talking him up all summer. I called him to win the Calder Trophy. He has 19 points in 22 games now. I won't be surprised to see him hit point per game by the end of the season. So yeah, it stinks that I'm totally like not shocked at all to see him doing this well because I totally saw it coming. For some reason, I couldn't get him. I, I drafted like five different leagues and I didn't get Kirill Kaprizov in any of them. So anyways, Brian, like uh, you've kind of said, we've had a lot of players that we've been talking about on Minnesota. Right now, Kevin Fiala seems to be in a little bit of a cold stretch, but I'm not too too concerned about him. And there's a lot of players where I could throw my vote to, but give me a Jordan Greenway as someone who I really hadn't heard of too much going into the season. Like Even Joel Erickson-Eck, I remember thinking over the summer, like, well, someone's got to be a center on this team. Maybe Eric Sinek ends up centering like a Kaprizov or a Fiala, and that'll be good. But Jordan Greenway really wasn't on my radar at all. And his goal in the 5-2 loss to Arizona yesterday brought him to five goals and 13 assists for 18 points in 22 games for a 67-point pace. This is a guy who was a total non-factor in fantasy for his first two seasons in the league. Now he's doing amazing. Second on the team in points behind Kaprizov. So go Greenway! Go Greenway. Don't uh, don't get caught at the red when you... Sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to take that any further. Greenway has been a really pleasant surprise. As you mentioned, and Elon, he's doing all of that with a very secondary power play role. So his 67-point pace is probably a little high, but I think it's safe to consider that Jordan Greenway, who we did have our eye on last season, and I can't remember, maybe just a hint of the season before... Um, probably a little high right now, but I think it's safe to consider Jordan Greenway having arrived. Speaking of a secondary power play role uh, that really doesn't distinguish his power play reduction from anybody else in Minnesota. My big surprise for the Wild, here's another one that's not a who, Elon, I'm sorry, but this whole team's power play has been terrible. How many power play points, Elon, do you think the team leader has in Minnesota. Well, you've kind of uh, set this up in a way where it makes, I don't know, three. Not even. (laughs) Parise and Viala each have two power play points apiece. And then there's a bunch of guys with one. The wild power play has scored just five times on 72 tries, which is below a 7% uh, conversion rate, which means that like that's a third the success rate of most of like an average NHL power player just above average, I guess. Uh, Minnesota is shooting at 4.7% on the power play, which is wild. Like they're dead last, like by a mile, but they, they're second in the league in five on five shooting percentage above 10%, which is unsustainable. But just, it's weird to me that they're, they're shooting twice as successfully 
five on five than they are on the power play. Neither one is going to exactly stay where it is. They'll regress a little at five on five and and down and they'll regress up on the power play. Uh, But I think what this means for my take is I want to draw your attention to Kirill Kaprizov, who you mentioned as being such a like pleasant surprise as he comes into the league. He's pacing for 71 points. Uh, He's doing that with just one power play point so far in top power play deployment. So if I do a little uh, back of the napkin math here, he could be doing even better. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov, not totally sustainable at five on five, but I think this just means that 70 points is going to be a fair floor for him this year. It is incredible. That like this is a Timo Meyer like season. Remember when Timo Meyer didn't have any power play deployment but still got seventy points? Kaprizov is doing that with the power play deployment that he just hasn't cashed in on yet. So I'm really excited to see just how high Kaprizov can go when that power play does start rolling. Yeah, I mean, I did say when I was talking about Kaprizov that I expect him to hit point per game by the end of the year, and obviously that will be a big part of it. I didn't realize the power play was so bad. Uh, we are, we're on Montreal now. Kay Towney here in the chat said, talk about Kakaniemi hitting machine in the bubble now plays with Montreal's two best scorers. So yeah, the most recent lines of Montreal have Kakaniemi playing with Josh Anderson and Tyler Toffoli. So that's some interesting news, and I think that's a really fun line. But uh, Brian, are one of those three players going to be your choice for the most surprising player on the Montreal Canadiens? Uh, like, honestly, I look at the Canadians roster and I don't see any real things that I consider that I, I find myself in awe. Of oh, wow. I, I have one. I, <laughs> I didn't expect, I guess. Well, okay. So the one that really jumps out is Jeff Petrie leads yeah. the team with 22 points in 23 games. I just, uh, I don't know. I guess that, that is a totally valid one. I just felt it was a little too predictable to be surprising. Like we talked about him earlier in the year going wild, not sustainable, but I think it is pretty impressive that at this point on a team with so much scoring capacity, Jeff Petrie is, yeah, just under a point per game pace. That is really surprising when I do say it out loud and not just type it in my notes. The flip side is that Shea Weber has just four points at even strength through 22 games. This has not been a good season for him. He's still really struggling. And remember, he only gets like 50% of the power play time most of the time because that's how Montreal splits their units. So uh, to me, it's pretty amazing that Jeff Petrie is having this much success in the exact same context that Shea Weber is struggling. Yeah, Brian, I mean, this is our opportunity now to hold ourselves accountable if we want to change our mind. Like you just mentioned that you brought up Jeff Petrie a couple weeks ago and said it wasn't sustainable. I think he's still at a point per game since then. He's on a three-game point streak right now. He's just continued to be phenomenal. So do we need to like redo that take? Or are you going to double down and say, no, still what Jeff Petrie's doing, he's not going to be able to keep it up? He's shooting 10% at five on five. He's seeing two minutes fewer a night at five on five as well compared to last season. And on the power play, he's shooting 18% with a career high points participation rate too. So no, I am not going to back too far off this take. Uh, I think he could definitely hit 50 and put up some nice peripherals. Sorry, uh, hit 50 as in have a 50 point pace the rest of the season. But this is ludicrous. There's no way he's keeping up this near point per game pace, or he shouldn't. It's not sustainable. So hot streaks can go forever. I actually, we, we had someone mention, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or a Discord server, that it is uh, maybe something to consider that in a shortened season, these unsustainable streaks make up a, a bigger piece of it. And make, like they're sustainable for a larger, a larger proportion of a shortened season than they would be of an 82 game season. So we, I sh- I'm not, I don't just mean to wave it away 
what Jeff Petrie's doing, but I am saying that it's not something I really think is totally deserving of. And I would be worried that if my team is relying heavily on his production, that I'm going to need to find some secondary sources if and when uh, regression does finally come to haunt Jeff Petrie. Yeah, uh, it was Patty who brought up that point as a question for our upcoming patron cast. So it'll be fun Ah. to discuss that a bit more. Uh, I mean, yeah, Petrie's probably not going to keep a point per game moving forward. But I think anyone who like sold high, quote unquote, I really hope they sold really, really high. Otherwise, they're probably mad at us for taking that advice. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Like the thing is this North division, right? Like Montreal scoring a lot of goals. Like, I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why Petrie can still end up getting like, if not a point per game pace, maybe a 70 point pace, 60 point pace moving forward. Like he was plus four and only had one point in that game against Winnipeg on Saturday when, uh, what was the final score here? Seven to one. So it's like even surprising that he didn't have more points in that game. Like he could theoretically be even above a point per game pace over the last couple of weeks if he would have gotten in on one of those goals he was on the ice for but just didn't happen to get a point um okay so let's go oh, did i give my answer for montreal i guess I'll, oh yeah so mine's jeff petrie i will say also and it's been mentioned in the chat here like carrie price who we've talked about recently like him not doing as well as he as i hoped going into the season is something that like obviously has surprised me but he's kind of turned it around a bit lately uh he's got a new coach so i'm hoping that uh, moving forward things will be better for price but yeah obviously i didn't expect that jake allen would be so much better than carrie price at this point in the season okay let's go over to nashville luckily roman yosi has bounced back recently with seven points in his last seven games after a slow start so we don't have to say him uh, Matthias Ekholm has been super hot and has the potential to be a second half MVP of this year. He's been scorching ever since Ryan Ellis has left the lineup with his injury. So he's not like the surprising so far, but I think like starting now moving forward, Ekholm could be one of those great free agent ads midway through the season. So I just want to mention him. Uh, but I think I'm just going to be boring here on Nashville and say that Philip Forsberg and his 24 points in 24 games is amazing and not what I was expecting, right? It was really looking like he wouldn't hit that point per game potential that he teased us with back in 2017-18 at least not on this team. He'd been a 60 to 65 point guy in the last couple of seasons, but everything is coming up Philip in 2020-21, especially versus Florida, by the way, where he's put up two straight multi-point games this week to go along with his two goal and three assist game versus the Panthers back on February 4th. So if he didn't play, and it's funny because Brian, you talked about how Florida has been this like good defensive team this year, but that's the team that Philip Forsberg has been able to feast on. Uh, but overall, you can't argue with the point per game pace and Forsberg's really had an awesome bounce back. I really hope he can keep it going the rest of the way. We've gotten a real jolt from Philip Forsberg's production this season, but I think the most impressive frame for it, aside from saying, yeah, he's finally broken through, is that Philip Forsberg is lapping the next highest scoring forward on the team. 24 points in 24 games versus the next best forward, Victor Arvidsson, with half as many points, 12 points in 24 games, which is just wild, right? And Philip Forsberg benefiting from this time on ice bump that we've been waiting forever for, seeing a career high five on five minutes a night, still not all the way there to, I'd love for him to see 15 minutes a night. Right now he's at 14 minutes a night, uh, but at least that looks top 6E compared to middle 6E, which is where he's been stuck for years. Uh, Forsberg is getting all this production thanks to a 92% points participation rate. And before you knock it, just remember, that's what Roman Yosi did on the power play last season, all season. So I don't know it's going to quite keep up, but it is. Uh, it does speak, I think, to how much this Nashville offense is relying pretty much solely on Philip Forsberg to do stuff for anything to happen. I'm really confident that Forsberg is finally going to get up above a 70-point pace again and has a legit shot to beat his career-high 78-point pace. 
Okay, so Brian, let's go over to the New Jersey Devils. We're into the news. We got the Devils, Islanders, and Rangers coming. So why don't you start us off with the player that has shocked you the most with his production on the Devils, unless you want to go off board again. <sighs> no, I well. Okay, yeah, I'm going to go off board. My, the shocker <laughs> in New Jersey is that nobody is scoring. Nobody. You've got Miles Wood. I guess Miles Wood is a surprise, like Curtis Lazar in Buffalo. Miles Wood leading the team with seven goals, Pavel Zaka with six, then Jack Hughes with five, which basically means nobody else on the team aside from those three is pacing to even have a 20-goal season. And only Zaka and Hughes are pacing to uh, reach more than 50 points over 82 games. But New Jersey's offense is actually ranked fourth in the league at five on five in expected goals per 60, but their five on five save percentage is brutal down at 29th in the league. So there, there could be room to grow here. You see Palmieri, who has, uh, well, now is up to 10 points in 20 games thanks to his, thanks to his goal tonight. That puts him at what a 41 point pace. Hishir, Johansson, Gusev, they all should have something more to offer than what we've seen so far. But so far, the biggest surprise to me is Miles Wood is the team's leading scorer. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that the biggest surprise is how disappointing everyone has been. I know Pavel Zaka was on a bit of a run. I'm not expecting that to continue. Patty saying Zaka's the easy choice. Yeah, I didn't expect him to go on this like eight game point streak or whatever it was. But yeah, like there's some players who started so hot, right? Like Jack Hughes, Ty Smith. I was super excited about these guys a couple weeks into the year, but they've totally fallen off. But if I'm going to pick one player that I'm the most shocked by... It's got to be how bad Mackenzie Blackwood has looked lately. He's letting three plus goals in each of his last seven games. Not good. He's now down to a 904 save percentage on the season. And he started the year with like a 940 save percentage after five games. So he was looking like the star of the league. And he's been so bad that that 940 has gone all the way down to 904 in just the last seven games. Like, uh, I don't even know what to recommend with a guy like Blackwood. Like, on one hand, you know, generally our advice would be like, oh, maybe buy low. Like, he's shown, like, he, and it's true. He has shown that he could go on these runs where he's like a fantasy MVP for you playing all the games and just having great games game in, game out. But at this point, this team is like, seems to be going down the toilet. He shears out long term now, which is not great. So I feel like Blackwood is someone you might have to consider dropping, especially like Wedgwood just had a shutout today. So that just means Blackwood maybe isn't even going to get all the starts we were expecting in the near future. And once he does get back in the net, as I'm sure he would, but uh, like, how good will he be? He's really struggled, so he's going to have to turn his game around. Yeah, yeah, he really is. That's a great surprise, Elon. I, I, but part of it isn't that shocking because Blackwood's workload has been insane. Going into today, he'd started nine of the last 11 games, which in a normal season is like, oh yeah, sure, he started nine of the last 11. But those 11 games happened in like a two and a half week span, like in this super compressed schedule. And Blackwood was coming off an injury before that. So uh, it's a really, was it an injury, Elon, or did he have COVID? Do you remember? Yeah, I believe he was on the COVID list. Okay, so he had freaking COVID. And then he comes back and is playing almost every single night, including two back-to-backs in this run with Aaron Dell uh, until Scott Wedgwood being the only backup available to them. The Devils and Blackwood, I think, really got... Burned, and I don't mean that in a personal way by Corey Crawford not being there. Like Corey Crawford had every right to make the choices he chose, but they thought they had solved this problem that they had come across the past couple of years, which is that Blackwood can't do it all. And here they are again, stuck with having to ask Mackenzie Blackwood do it all, which is just not that viable a choice. 
Yeah, by the way, uh, to say something positive, P.K. Subban is kind of turning things around. Like, yeah, he's not the superstar he once was, but I added him in the couple a few weeks ago, and he's been getting points, like, every couple games. He got another point today. He's giving you good peripherals. So, like, P.K. Subban is not done in terms of being valuable in fantasy. So that's really nice to see. I'm also going to add Patty in the chat. Uh, has mentioned that the Devils have a lot of wood. Wedgwood, Blackwood, Mileswood, and Palmary, as in palm tree, with a little <laughs> emoji there, which is uh, maybe one of the most entertaining Devils takes possible for a team that's having this much trouble on offense and on defense. So there go the Devils. Elon, uh, who, like, the Islanders are also a pretty classically boring team. So is there anyone that you're marveling at over in Long Island? Yeah, I am not stupefied about Barzal, Lee, or Eberly. They're all pacing around where we expected, like 75, 58, 51 points, respectively. I could say Nick Letty, right? He's somehow pacing for 50 points. Uh, got another point today, I believe. Uh, like, I expect that it's not going to last. And I just don't want to say Nick Letty. I just don't feel like it. He's going to have to do it. He's going to have to do it for like two, three more weeks before I actually lock it in that Nick Letty's turning things around. Uh, I'm going to go negative again, though, here and say that Ryan Pulak. I think I might be done with Ryan Pulak, uh, or at least, like, we had high hopes for this guy. I remember, like, a few seasons ago, Keeping Carlson, when we saw him kind of come onto the scene, he had, like, you know, 40-plus point season, and it was like, okay, I think this might be the future of the New York Islanders, the new power play quarterback. He's going to end up being a really valuable guy, and especially someone who gets a lot of peripherals, who's going to become your new, like, stud defenseman. I was kind of holding him in a similar regard to Jacob Chikrin going into this year. I thought those were the two guys I'd love to target in my drafts. Luckily, I got Chikrin in a couple of my leagues. I didn't end up getting Pulak in any of them. That's worked out just fine. Pulak has definitely not been a chicken he has no goals and nine assists in 24 games so far he has 45 shots so some of that might be bad luck maybe one or two of those shots should have gone in but he's shooting at his lowest per game pace of his career so this is partially his fault right he's off the top power play at this point nick letty's back on there he's only got one or two blocks per game lately so he's not even helping you so much with that peripheral category brian we had such high hopes for this guy thinking that he's gonna eventually be a 50 point high peripheral defenseman and now i feel like maybe it's not gonna happen Maybe it's not going to happen, especially because at five on five, he is taking about 25, uh, maybe just 20 percent fewer shot attempts per 60 minutes, which is really disappointing because, yeah, when he did come into the league, uh, he had in his first full season uh, his career high shot attempts and shots on goal rates, and he has not matched them since. And we keep thinking, oh, yeah, like they're going to need to turn to Pulak now. And uh, even though it seems like they need to, he's not really there to do anything. So that has been for sure a disappointment. I am going to point out another disappointment in Long Island, which is Brock Nelson, who, like Pulak, has been Mr. Reliable in certain senses. Now, this is before the game that Nelson had today. He might, he definitely had at least a point, maybe two. But coming into today's game, Brock Nelson, uh, you could count on him for 55 points. He's only on a 41-point pacing, so largely to five power play points that he scored without spending significant time on the top unit. That is to say, I'm not sure that he could repeat those five power play points over the back half of the season, but there's reason to think he deserves better. 6% shooting percentage for himself, 6% shooting percentage for his line mates while he's on the ice at five on five. So things should be going for Nelson, but he's someone that you used to be able to set your watch to, like Ryan Pulak, who's just been like, yeah, he's going to be on my roster. He's going to do exactly this much for me, and I'm going to be happy about it. And he has not done that yet. Yeah, well, so he's starting maybe today to turn that around. Like you said, he has two goals today on four shots. So bringing that shooting percentage maybe a bit back in line. So he's maybe a good person to target in the second half of the season. Because you're right, he has been reliable for so long. So I don't want to use the small sample size to think he's done doing that, especially with low percentages that maybe could turn around. Okay, Brian, let's go to the Rangers. 
Uh, Wait, like, just before we do. Oh, okay, I, please. I just want to give a very quick kudos to Semyon Varlamov. Who, so good. Yeah, so freaking good. 926A percentage and a 72% quality start percentage. I, maybe we should have learned more from last year about how he was lights out. And I, I wonder, I mean, we thought it might be a 50-50 timeshare, but we didn't see him really taking the reins as he has this season. So that's been really exciting. And he's still playing for a top five defensive team. So Rogan might get uh, like a bigger share of the starts the rest of the way, but I don't think it's going to be 50-50. So uh, to just just a shout out to Semyon Varlamov. Yeah, I will agree with you that it has been surprising that Varlamov's gotten so many starts so far, but I do actually still stick with my preseason projection for moving forward. Like, Sorokin's finally started to get more starts. He's looked great in, like, all of them. He's won his uh, last four starts. Yeah, I don't think he's looked great in all of them. Okay, yeah, he led in two goals on 20 shots, or whatever, two goals on 18 shots against Buffalo. So, it's, you know, it's hard for a goalie when they... There's a reason why they don't call that... Like, it's still considered a quality start, according to Dauber, when right. he stopped uh, 16 of 18, just because when there's few shots against, you basically have to get a shutout in order to have good numbers. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to count four straight wins and letting in two or fewer goals in the last four <laughs> games, including okay. two shutouts. I'm going to consider that good. Point taken. Uh, okay, so the Rangers... You know who I'm going to say? I hate him so much, so you could do it for me. Yeah, it's my turn, so I, I will do it for you. Uh, Mika Zibanejad scored his first five-on-five goal of the season earlier tonight as we were just starting to record this episode. So that's that's really exciting. I know he's haunted you a lot. You know, there are actually a lot of candidates here. Um, like off ice, I think might have been the biggest Ranger surprises. You've got Panarin uh, having to take some personal time off. You have D'Angelo disappearing uh, or being disappeared from the blue line. Uh, and then on the ice too, their, their prospects on the Rangers still aren't quite doing a whole lot of anything. You've got Kako with four points in 15 games. Lafreniere though, if you have stopped paying attention and you're in a redraft one-year format, uh, he quietly has six points in his last seven games. He's been playing with Buchnevich and Zibanejad at five-on-five, five, taking occasional turns on the top unit. So he's just someone to uh, keep a side eye on if you're in a shallow enough redraft league that he happens to uh, be available. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think back to Steven Stamkos' rookie season, where he actually was really slow at the start and then turned it on at the end. So I could definitely see something similar happening for Alexis Lafreniere, who, because of the circumstance of, you know, Panarin being out of the picture, he's, like, playing, like you said, on the top line. Or I guess I don't know if you call a line with Zibanejad the top line or, like, the fourth line, the way Zibanejad has been playing. But, hey, a goal today. I mean, but also the Rangers are losing 3-1. to one. So, obviously, if there's any good news, it's going to be a counteract with lots of bad news. By the way, the other big news on the Rangers recently is that Igor Shostyorkin is out. It looked like it was a lot worse than it turned out to be. He's only day-to-day, but in the meantime, having to rely on Alexander Georgiev, I know a lot of people like rush to grab Georgiev because he's going to be a volume guy, but I really don't think he can handle it, and it's not looking so good today against the Penguins. So, I don't know. Like, yeah, if you want to get starts, grab Georgiev while he's, you know, the only goalie on the team, aside from Keith Kincaid, who we've seen what Kincaid could provide in Montreal, which is nothing. Uh, but, you know, I'm not too excited about Georgiev. I think he could blow you up more than he could help you. Okay. Ottawa? Ottawa. Your favorite team. Uh, yeah. You know I call myself a self-loathing Sens fan, so it's always hard to call them my favorite team. 
but I begrudgingly admit that they probably are my favorite team. I mean, it's easy to tell considering every time they have a good game, you're like tweeting like 20 tweets that night <laughs> as opposed to when they're having a bad game or not playing at all. But okay, yeah, let's go to the Sens. A lot of bright spots this year, right? Like obviously they're not like an amazing team, but you know, Batherson, Norris, Stutzla, Brianstrom, all doing better than I expected. But Brian, just because I know you're going to go positive because you like this team, or maybe you won't now that you're saying yourself loathing, I'm going to go negative and say that Evgeny Dadanov. Like, he's someone that we had some high hopes for going into the year. I remember, like, we talked to Dom Lucision, and he had an even higher projection than our patron projection project. We were asking him why. And he said, oh, in North Division, I think he'll be good. But, like, that was one of the few things that Dom, unfortunately, got wrong. Dadanov has been completely irrelevant. Like, he's dropped in all of my leagues at this point, not on my watch list in any of them. And this is a guy who was drafted 131st overall, on average, in the couple. He only has nine points in 26 games, only one point in his last nine games, so he's even worse recently like he actually had a good start compared to what he's been doing now he's earning five million a year for another two years huge huge bust uh hopefully that's worth it for him that he's going to be making a lot of money but his rep is pretty much ruined in my eyes like now i'm going to remember evgeny dadanov as that guy who got to play with barkov and huberdo and juice his numbers for a little bit before he went to the sends and totally disappeared you know i I feel like that's being a little unfair to him. I'll be I'll be perfectly honest. I'm definitely this is not me being a homer. Um, I, I think first off, Dadnov was a, a like a fun swing to take and a very weird landing spot in Ottawa for him after having been with Hu- uh, Huberto and Barkov and not having one, let alone two players of that caliber on the roster. Um, so he came to Ottawa with a lot to prove. And at five on five, he's slipped a little. But he's still on the top power play, and he's just not seeing anything happen. No goals on 16 shots that he's taken, when over the last couple seasons, you could count on him to score 20% of the time. So, like, maybe three power play goals would have been fair. He also has just one assist. His his points participation is, like, in the dumpster, uh, 12.5%, which is laughably low for a forward on the power play. For him on the power play, you would hope for, like, 50% points participation so i honestly think that he can do better like not a whole lot better but i think he can probably get at least to a 50 point pace compared to the current 28 point pace Uh, i'll bet you on that for sure okay because like i think we were seeing so many other players do it if you think that he's gonna have a 50 point pace moving forward i definitely disagree i think like all these guys that i mentioned before like batherson norris they're all like better than him at this point and like you know i don't know i just don't see it happening i know you're saying that he is not getting as many of his shots going in on the power play or he's not having a high ipp uh so i guess we'll yeah. see but i would be surprised just seeing some really poor variants on the power play and so i i, I think yeah it's, but i don't you think it's also kind of likely that he gets bumped from that top power play at some point if he continues to like yeah you're saying he's taken all these shots nothing's gone in maybe like the coach is saying huh, maybe you're not as good at shooting i don't know like we'll see what happens here's another one zero secondary assists at five on five so he hasn't gotten any any bonus points sure so yeah his one point in his last nine games maybe convert that to two or three points (laughs) over nine games okay so you and i now have a bet dad in a 50 point pace over the rest of the season i will take the over uh, my surprise in Ottawa was just going to be that Drake Batherson leads the team with 18 points in 26 games, which is one more than Brady Kachuk. Both of them pacing for like 55, 60 points. Seems about right to me. Um, so yeah, I think I definitely expected Brady Kachuk to be the only one, uh, up above 55 points and Batherson being right up there with him is, uh, what makes me portent. Is that the right use of the word portent? Oh, no. I, I'm thesaurus.com. Let me down here. Let's just forget I said that. 
Okay, so let's go to Philly now, and it's your turn, Brian. So who on the Philadelphia Flyers has left you staggered at this point of the season? I am staggered by the fact that from the deepest doghouse ever known, Shane Gostisbehere is somehow, without a coaching change, uh, well, without a new, like another new one, uh, found his way back to quarterbacking a power play on a regular basis. And like, he's sort of like the power play one, a quarterback. Um, you know, he's with, uh, Konechny, Giroux, and Hayes. And then the one B with Provorov would be Couturier, James Van Riemsdyk, and Voracek. But he's definitely earned back some of the deployment he'd lost over the last couple seasons, uh, reliably above 20 minutes a night compared to 18 minutes a night last season. And, uh, to, before tonight had 23 shots in his last six games and he had like five shots in the first period in the game that was happening as we're recording tonight so for me i'm very excited by the shane goss reclamation uh, i like i don't know elon am i am i glossing over the really obvious one i'm sort of just leaving leaving it for you to hit yeah, that's fine. No, it is surprising. I definitely thought Gossespierre was done. It would be really fun if Gossespierre is going to ghost bear Provorov just like he did to Mark Strait way back when oh, yeah. and once again steal someone's top power play job that we thought was locked in. Uh, so we'll see if he can hold on. I'm loving all these shots. I would definitely recommend people to add Gossespierre if they need D and he's still out there, especially if your league is a multi-category league that counts shots on goal. Uh, but yeah, obviously we can't go by Philly without mentioning like JVR and Joel Farabee having these crazy seasons that no one expected. They're the clear, obvious answers here. I was actually not planning to say them either because I assumed you were going to say it. So I think we were both just assuming the other one was going to cover, but we've talked about them so much. Uh, I think we also have to mention Carter Hart, who uh, Ben and Lewis brought up on short shifts on Thursday. He's been like really terrible. He has 893 save percentage going into today's game. And today he's led in three goals on 25 shots. So not doing much better so far against Washington in the third period. So I think my answer is going to be Carter Hart just because I expect him to be one of those like really reliable and like fewer and farther between reliable starting goalies, like sure starters. And now like Brian Elliott's starting to get more and more starts. So he's not even a sure starter. And like regardless of that, the more surprising thing is just how badly he's playing. Yeah, you know how I mentioned earlier in the show that Philip Grubauer ranked 31st out of 38 regular goalies in uh, Delta Fenwick save percentage? Carter Hart ranks 35th. He's only ahead of Grace, Rene, and Murray. That means there are only three goalies performing poorer relative to their workload this season than Carter Hart, which is a shocker. Philly's a really surprising team, actually, because we also have taken for granted that Travis Konechny is is no... Like, why aren't we talking about him being a surprise? Four points in his first two games, eight points in seven games to start the season. And now that he's back, he seems... From COVID, he seems to have picked up his game again. There was a lot of junk in between that start and this return from COVID. But I watched the game on Saturday. He looked pretty good versus Pittsburgh. And it all washes to a 66-point pace for Konechny, which seems pretty nice. Like, if we can get that from him the rest of the way, we'll take it. So just a lot of very strange up-and-down performances happening in Philadelphia this season. I think you could probably say the same about their state mates over in Pennsylvania. The Penguins uh, have had a lot going on 
over the first 20 or so games of their season. Is there anything, Elon? Well, you have to tell me. There must be one thing that has astonished mm-hmm. you more than the rest of what's happened for Pittsburgh this season. Yeah, I will just comment one quick thing about Philly that you brought up. Like, with Carter Hart, I will say, like, people have to remember, he's 22 years old, which is, like, really young. Like, almost every new goal. Like, we're going to talk, I'm going to mention Tristan Jari. Here's a spoiler. Jari's, like, a lot older than Carter Hart, right? Like, Hart is, shouldn't be a starting goalie in the league at this age. It's very rare. So even though he's been struggling now, in a keeper context, I think now's a good time to go for a Carter Hart because I think he's, you know, he's going to learn from these experiences and it's like very impressive that he's even been in the league this long at this young age. So yeah, don't give up on Carter Hart yet, even though he's struggling, but let's go to Pittsburgh. And yeah, I'm happy to not have to put Evgeny Malkin on this list. He's riding a three game point streak going into today. I see he's already got a point today for the Pens. So uh, he's getting closer and closer to that point per game pace after the slow start so i think that malkin is gonna be fine and so we don't have to be surprised about him uh crosby gensel Latang all looking good lately rustin kapanen doing pretty much what i expected them to do probably the biggest surprise but it's too much of a bummer like jason zucker we already talked about him like last week he was a total bust like people were drafted he was drafted 169th overall in the cupful dropped in all of my leagues and then he got injured so now it's like forget about him anyways but yeah i'm gonna go with tristan jari who i already said i was gonna bring up he's the biggest surprise not since the start of the year but definitely since the start of february <laughs> Because he was terrible for the first seven games of the year. He went 2-4-1 and one with an 8.57 save percentage, was losing starts. Next 10 games, 7-3 with a 9-19 save percentage. And yeah, his last two games versus Philly haven't been amazing. But just the fact that he's a volume starter is not what I would have expected after that rough January. So uh, anyone who was able to grab Jari during that dip is very happy now. And I think Pittsburgh is looking like they're turning things around. Like I said, so I think you've got a lot of wins coming in the future. Yeah. I guess so. You're getting a volume. You're going to get, he's going to play a lot of games. He's going to give you a lot of wins and has a decent save percentage. What do you want? I think you're being overly generous about Tristan Jari, Elon, saying that only his last two games against Philly were bad. He actually has not had a great last six games in five of those. He had a 909 save percentage or lower. Uh, He still won four of them because the team in front of him helps him escape the fate that Jari might have deserved. And I'm looking at the scoreboard tonight, and I see that Casey DeSmith has stopped 16 of seven. Not no jinx. Sorry to anybody who's listening to this after the fact and needed a good DeSmith start, and he blew it after I said this. But he stopped 16 to 17 shots against the Rangers today. Um, so there seems to be at least some reasonable internal competition. I don't think Jari's running away from the job. So you can say volume is great. Also, I think Pittsburgh could go hot and could also go cold. So I, I don't know that I love him quite as much as you do, Elon. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little surprised that you're saying this. I guess we're both surprising each other. Like, DeSmith is playing his first time in a while today just because it was a back-to-back, and yeah, he's having a good game. It's against the Rangers, who are a mess. Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that Jari's clearly the volume starter to I see otherwise. Just because DeSmith has a good game against the Rangers doesn't mean I'm going to throw everything in flux. Like, yeah, you're right, the Jari hasn't been as good. I'm just saying it's not a lock. It's not, I mean, like I don't you know, said, this... only his last two games were bad and he's going to be volume the rest of the way. And I'm saying, no, his last six games were like very pedestrian, probably a little worse than pedestrian. And now he's got his backup outplaying him today. I don't know. Okay. So sure. I mean, I think that Jari is someone that I would want in my fantasy team going forward for the rest of the season, I especially agree. if your league counts wins. So I just want to say I would still go with Jari and hope that it works out. But I, I like I, I just I felt like you were making it more of a certainty than it was. Oh, yeah. So I just oh, yeah. Let me be clear. Nothing about goalies is a certainty. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, yeah, Pittsburgh, is, I, honestly, after the start where 
it was very surprising that like Teddy Bluger was leading the scoring on the team and that aside from Crosby, no one was doing anything that we would expect to do. Everything seems to have leveled out. Like Malkin, you mentioned, he's at a 57 point full season pace, but nine points in his last nine games. Like you said, he seems to be figuring things out. So I actually, can I, I just pass on the okay. Pittsburgh surprise. I think that's allowed. Let's just move on then to the uh, San Jose Sharks. And uh, do you want to go first on the Sharks since you didn't have one for the Penguins? Yeah, I'll go first for the Sharks. Uh, I am surprised that the year I finally get his jersey marks the year that I also finally give up on Eric Carlson. It has just been... So we've talked about it weekly. I don't think I need to go on much longer about it. Really disappointing season for Carlson. He doesn't seem to have that gear that gave him that special something that he had for years in Ottawa and whether that's injury related probably is uh, like, it seems to be in, in his skating and his foot speed. And it's a real big bummer. Um, we've had a lot of excuses for him, like recovering from injury, weak forward core, but I am out of excuses and I am truly surprised by that. I had never ending faith in Carlson. And I think this is the year it comes to an end. Uh, Elon, do you have yeah. any more belief that he can reclaim his former form or like anything close to it? I mean, maybe he could reclaim like being worth rostering on a fantasy team, <laughs> but that's obviously a far cry from what we were hoping for. No shots in each of his last two games, which stings. It was like he was actually upping his shots a little bit after coming back from injury for a couple of games, but now back to just not being reliable for points or shots. So like that stinks. That's too bad. If you want to be positive, like we've talked about over the last few weeks and debated a little bit, like Logan Couture is doing better than we expected. Evander Kane doing better than expected. But yeah, to me, the biggest surprise was clearly Eric Carlson. And then let's move over to the St. Louis Blues. And my biggest surprise is probably that Vladimir Tarasenko is back so soon. I really misplayed this, Brian. I really, when the news came out that he's just only going to be reevaluated for his shoulder in February, I thought that meant he probably will then be another couple months and maybe be back for the playoffs or something. But no, he returned yesterday for St. Louis in the 4-3 loss to LA. He had no points, but four shots on goal. Uh, so I'm very interested to see what Tarasenko is going to do moving forward. But uh, if I have to pick a player in terms of their production, that has had me a little bit uh, winded with this, with shock. I guess I'll go with uh, Jordan Cairo, who's up to 20 points in 25 games now for a 66-point pace. He played on a line with Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly on Saturday. I don't think you could get a better pair of line mates on the Blues, assuming Tarasenko's at 100%, which I guess we'll have to wait and see. It's actually interesting. Like, Tarasenko's shoulder, I read a Roto-World report that was like, the doctors say he's ready to go, but this might be like the last chance. I, I really hope that he's going to be fine and be able to hold up for the rest of the year. But if that deployment for Jordan Cairo and Tarasenko's shoulder holds up, I don't see why Cairo can't put up similar numbers the rest of the way. And he was completely undrafted in Cupful. So he was added in free agency in all of our divisions, and all the people who added him have been happy with a 66-point pace. Undrafted in Cupful, drafted in the second round, 35th overall in 2016 by St. Louis. Jordan Cairo, yeah, finally making a dent in the NHL after having done very well in the AHL over the last couple seasons, 63 games, 58 points. So he had nothing left to prove there. And it's really nice to see that production translate to the NHL. And I hope he continues having a productive season. My uh, hot St. Louis surprise, now I'm really running out of synonyms for surprise. My hot surprise uh, is a little uh, less hipster than Jordan Cairo. I'm going to go with David Perron, who's on pace for a career high 89 points 
thanks to 10 power play points in 25 games. Uh, he is actually doing something new for the first time in his career beyond being on an 89-point pace. But one of the keys to that pace is being the trigger man on the top power play for the first time in his career. In fact, he's at the top of the NHL in shots and shot attempts for 60 minutes with the man advantage, which is not something David Perron has ever really done over the course of his career. I actually retweeted um, a thread from Sean Ferris about how Perron has sort of reinvented his five-on-five game by taking fewer shots and being more selective. But on the power play, it's the opposite. He's just bombing away. And this is another situation that Tarasenko's return might have an impact on, right? If Tarasenko is going to be the one pulling the trigger on the power play or they want to share more of the shot attempts with him, how does that impact Perron? We'll wait and see. But for now, holy cow, Perron having himself a season, even when we like I've believed in him now for uh, long enough after having not believed in him for a short stretch after having believed in him before that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. For a little too long, I didn't believe in him, but uh, I still believe in a lot of what Perron is doing this season. It's very exciting. Yeah, he's definitely overperforming what I expected. So he's a good answer. I'll just circle back to Nashville really quickly. Uh, this game is ongoing, but Ellie Tolvanen now has a power play goal and a power play assist oh, yeah. for the Preds. So he's probably also going to be someone who might end up on this list in a end of season episodes. So maybe grab him now if he's still available in your league. I'd, I had him as an honorable mention as someone to like who's getting looks on the top line and top power play. And I read, I actually retweeted this too. It was an article from uh, On the Forecheck, which is a like one of the better team blogs anywhere, actually. Uh, okay. This is Nashville's team, uh, like SB Nation or whatever. Um, it's a, it had a really strong uh, explanation for how the Milwaukee Admirals uh, coach that came in and worked with Tolvanen helped them round out into this two-way player that could get the shot he's getting now in the NHL without like frustrating his coach and blowing it left and right defensively. So he's worked on his game and he's gotten a new look. And it's really exciting to see him do stuff with it. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Nashville that we've always said is their power play stinks, right? So if now Tolvanen can come in and help that, then he's going to stay there as long as he needs, right? They're going to be happy with that. And he apparently, according to K-Towny in the chat here, he leads the Preds in power play goals this year. So it didn't take much. Here's a question for you, Elon. Rest of season, Tolvanen or Pugliarvi? Tolvanen. Yeah, I feel like I'm starting to lean there too. Even like, I assume Paul Yarby is going to be back with McDavid, but Tolvanen is with Forsberg and on the top power play. Also, lines aren't everything, right? At some, I know that like some podcasts like talk about lines a lot, but like, and we do too, definitely. But like at the end of the day, I still care about production more than lines. And Pooley Arvey's been playing with McDavid a lot and he hasn't been more than like a 40 point guy. So give me Tolvin yeah. and who's showing upside for more. But McDavid was all, I, I have excuses for Pooley Arvey. Of course. I, I, I've watched a lot of Edmonton this year. He looks, he looks good. I mean, he's not, yeah, he's good. He's in the NHL. He's in the top six, which is something we didn't necessarily expect a couple of years ago when he went out of the league. So yeah, it's nice to see him good, but is he good, 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 good? Like, is he like fantasy relevant? Yeah. Like worth, he might be. I don't know. I'm not seeing it. I feel, I've seen a lot of people coming. Brian, I'm old. I'm older than you. Okay. I've seen a lot of people come and go on McDavid's wing and maybe this one will last a little longer than usual. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's go to Tampa Bay now, and let's see if you'll have changed your mind on this guy, who recently you said you didn't expect him to keep up his point pace, but then he got injured, and now he's back, and that's Anthony Sorelli, who has picked up right where he left off. Three goals and one assist in four games since returning from his upper body injury, so now he's up to 14 points in 16 games. Brian, you said his producing was unsustainable before. I assume you still feel that way, though one thing that's changed, which is good for Sorelli, is the lines, because he's been recently lining up with Point and Palat. He swapped with Steven Stamkos, who's been slumming it with Killorn and Yanni Gord lately, though I wouldn't say exactly slumming because they're now taking off playing with Stamkos, who, by the way, side note, Stamkos, what a season, right? 21 points in 21 games so far. And don't forget, going into the year, we had some injury concerns for Stamkos because he missed, you know, all of those playoffs except for that one shift. Uh, so Stammer is having a great year, and I'm really happy to see that. But I've got to say my pleasant surprise so far has been Sorelli's production. And I'm very curious to know if you still think it's unsustainable or if playing on the top line with Point and Palat or second line, whatever, is going to maybe keep it, help him keep it up. My take was literally last week, right? So, Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay, I thought it was like a couple weeks ago. No, it was before he got injured. I remember when he got injured, I asked you about it. Maybe then I brought him up again. Maybe I talk about Sorelli a lot. I think you do. Uh, he has three goals on his last seven shots. So that's one reason to think that the, the production won't sustain none of those coming on the power play. I mean, yeah, he's going to have a good season this year. I think 68 points is a little rich. Even if he does hang on the line he's currently on, it's great that he's there. I just don't know that he's a 70-point player in this circumstance, I especially not on the top power play, um, So, like full season. So I would expect him to be like a 55-ish point guy. Maybe he could creep above 60, but approaching 70 just seems like a bit much for me. Uh, before I mention my big surprise, I'm going to just uh, give a shout-out. We had a question on Twitter asking us to talk about Braden Point, whose, uh, whose point pace continues to fall from its peak of 95 in 2018-19. He had an 80-point pace last season, 21 points in 23 games this season, which is a very disappointing 75-point pace, but his uh, shooting percentage is down. So I think, honestly, that's that's as much as I'm going to say for a point. I think you could still expect him to get up above an 80-point pace. We said at the time 95 points was rich and that he was going to have to grow like grow his game to be able to sustain that because it was coming off unsustainable power play shooting 40% that year, if I remember correctly, when he scored 20 power play goals. Um, but yeah, I think if you have the right sort of the right set of expectations for point, you won't be disappointed. Uh, someone who's really not disappointing fantasy managers this season and plays a position that constantly disappoints fantasy managers, Andre frickin' Vasilevsky. Elon, I thought, I thought this was a lock for who we're, we were both going to say on Tampa. Vasilevsky is quietly having a Vesna worthy campaign. He's tied for first in the league in save percentage with Mark Andre Fleury with a 942 save percentage. And I'm going to go further than that. His five-on-five expected Fenwick save percentage is 940. His actual save percentage at five-on-five is 965. That's 25 save points ahead of expected for Vasilevsky, which is just massive. Marc-Andre Fleury is 18 save points ahead of expected. Cal Peterson, 18 save points ahead of expected. Lankinen, 11 points above expected. Everyone else, fewer than 10 points above their expected save percentage. But Vasilevsky, 25 points above his expected save percentage. This guy is playing lights out on, I'm going to say it, a mid-pack defensive team in Tampa. Of course, Vasilevsky gets run support, but he's not coasting even when he could. And I'm going to do a bit of a, an about face 
that I've been on record calling Vasilevsky an average goalie through his career. This is the first time to me that he's looked like more than that. Of course, it's just an 18 game sample and like no goalie, uh, only 13 goalies have finished the season uh, 10 or more save points ahead of their expected Fenwick save percentage in the last five years. So it's unlikely that he stays this good, but I at least just want to give him some credit. Andre Vasilevsky, just amazing all season long. I mean, Brian, you're kind of like making this too easy for me just because like only you will be shocked that the goalie who's always drafted as the first goalie in all fantasy leagues that just won the cup that's been like a longtime starting goalie in the league who's put up great numbers 42 yeah so yeah his numbers are a bit better than expected like i'm not shocked that vasilevsky has been awesome like i know that you've been banging the drum that he's not actually as good as people say he is but i think one thing that we've always underrated about vasilevsky is he's putting up these like quote-unquote like below expected or only averagely as expected numbers like as like a volume like playing game in game out like it's hard for goalies to play so much this guy is like just he's amazing and i'm glad you're finally giving him the credit that he deserves yeah i guess you're sort of and like rightfully so based on our history you're taking it as like an underhanded compliment for vasilevsky but i didn't mean it at all i just think he's having (laughs) like one of the best seasons we've seen from a goalie in a long time and nobody's noticed because it's like oh yeah tampa they, they they win the stanley cup and they're a really good team and they don't even really need a goalie did you just say that like you may be taking this as an underhanded compliment for Vasilevsky? But I promise it's not. I promise it's not a compliment for Vasilevsky. I wouldn't do that. Oh no! I mean, like it's a it's an earnest, positive oh, compliment. I'm not I trying see. to I'm not trying to 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 compliment him, but also like nudge him aside at the same time. Like this is pure unadulterated love for Andre Vasilevsky's season. Yeah. So for the people who are new to keeping Carlson, Brian is always, because Adam's asking in the chat, like, Vassy was average. Yeah, so Brian, you know, uses this stat, which measures the difficulty of shots that the goalie is facing based on a model, which counts a lot of things, like the locations of the shots and things like that. And then, like, compares what the goalie is doing versus what an average goalie would do. And what Brian has always concluded is that actually any average goalie would be putting up the same numbers as Vasilevsky, and it was more like the team that was making Vasilevsky look as good as he was. Uh, But now, I guess we're seeing this season that even with this model, that normally makes Vasilevsky not look as good now Brian is seeing that uh, Vasilevsky is better than average and actually the best in the league so good for Andre Vasilevsky he's finally earned you know he won a cup last year but I think earning your adulation (laughs) is an even bigger prize okay let's go now to the Toronto Maple Leafs and I guess I went first with Sorelli for Tampa so why don't you tell us your shocking player or the player that's had you dumbstruck on the Leafs so far this year I'm going to go with Austin Matthews, who's pacing for 64 goals. And the shocking part here is that I'm mostly bought in to him legitimately pacing for 64 goals in an 82-game season. He's shooting 26% on the power play, 17% at 5-on-5, both a touch above his usual shooting percentages, but not by a ton. So it's a really exciting time to be watching hockey for anyone, unless you really, really hate the Leafs, to see Austin Matthews having one of the best goal-scoring seasons we've seen in a long, long time, from especially from anyone not named Alex Ovechkin. I guess the one thing I'm going to dampen this with is that I'm worried about Matthews' wrist, right? He He sat out for two games with a wrist injury. He's come back, he's taken 15 shots, uh, but in three games, but has yet to score a goal. I don't know if this is a result of just expectations that are too high for Austin Matthews or legit reason for concern that he might not be as strong right now as he was before that injury. I mean, all I know is that the Leafs are 
basically a lock to make the playoffs at this point. So uh, as a new-ish Leafs fan, like, please rest that wrist as much as needed so that the Leafs don't blow it in the first round of the playoffs again, okay? Like, I don't, we don't, I know, like, people who have Matthews on their fantasy teams don't want Matthews to take any breaks, but it would be nice to make sure he's 100% for a full and hopefully long playoff run. Uh, so yeah, Matthews has been awesome, but to me, I, like, I can't talk about the Leafs and not talk about the player who's actually shocked me the most. Like, I've literally had to double take and look at the stats and look at the line combinations every time I see that Joel Thornton is ro- like, just the fact that he's rostered in 91% of a couple divisions right now. He's playing on the top line with Matthews and Marner. Like We've already covered this, honestly, and honestly, I'd even consider him, even with this great deployment, I might consider him a bit of a snoozer in leagues that count peripherals like he only has two assists and three shots in his last five games so aside from assists he's really not giving you anything but still like 11 points in 14 games for a 41 year old joe thornton is wild he pays for 31 points last year on the sharks and i expect him to be a bottom sixer on the lease but sheldon keith had other plans and it's wild and i'm here for it i love it it's fun to watch leafs games and see joe thornton in this position well i'm gonna shout out another old man while you're shouting out joe thornton i went on a on a tweet Storm. I don't want to call it a tweet storm. I don't, whatever. I went on a tweet fest, love fest for Jason Spezza earlier this afternoon, who's on a 52 point pace from the fourth line. He's playing only nine to 12 minutes a night and seeing power play two deployment at best, but no problem. Jason Spezza is still pacing for 52 points, which would be nearly enough to lead the Devils in scoring, the Senators in scoring, and fall only behind Philip Forsberg for scoring in Nashville from the fourth line with very, very fourth line minutes. And I'm just very frustrated that we were robbed the last three years of uh, being able to see what Spezza can do. I'm not saying it's all sustainable. I'm just saying he's had more to give than we've seen for the last three years, as I've shouted from the rooftops for the last three years. I'm very excited to see him getting one last glorious run here before his career finally ends. Yeah, it's been fun. Like, so we have Thornton, we have Spezza. Also, don't forget, Wayne Simmons was on a bit of a roll before he got injured. So the Leafs were potentially going to be a really fun reclamation project type of team for players near the end of their career. Uh, so we'll see what, if this can continue with these three guys. Uh, and Simmons, obviously, once he returns, if it, slash when. Let's go to Vancouver now. And I guess it is my turn. And how can I not just go with Brock Besser and his 13 goals and 28 points of 28 games? I see you nodding because, of course, this guy, he pays for 65 points overall last year and was trending downwards by the end of the year only six points in his final 15 games before getting hurt to end his 2019-20 campaign so there were some concerns going into this year he had been bumped from the Pedersen line at times but this season Besser has been blazing hot from beginning to end including a one goal two assist game in the 4-2 win over the Leafs on Saturday Brian I know that we can say like this 19.7 shooting percentage won't last and like probably Besser will slow down a little bit but maybe is it possible he's just found another gear like he's in his fourth year in the league and I'm I don't know. Like, he's obviously been a revelation. Even if he slows down a little bit, it's still, like, way above expectations for me. Way above expectations for me, too, which makes me actually reconsider, were our expectations totally off base for Brock Besser? We were so scared going into this season based on his 1920 campaign when he was booted to the third line for 10 games and then got injured. Uh, but in the playoffs, he looked fine. And his points actually held steady from 1819 into 1920. I feel like we just got greedy when it came to Brock Besser and wanted too much. It's really nice to see Besser doing his thing and and seemingly having taken that next step and having that very safe, certain deployment, touch wood. But yeah, I wonder if we're only surprised because we didn't give him 
as much credit as we should know. have preseason. I'm surprised because he had six points in his final 15 games last year and was bumped from the top line. So that's yeah. why I'm surprised. Yeah. Well, that's it, though. It was only 15 games, and he was bumped from the top line for most of those like pointless oh i see what you're saying so you're saying like we i read too much into that so yeah there you go like brock yeah. Besser's a superstar uh patterson's injured right now and Besser's still not slowing down so i'm really excited to see what he's gonna do for the rest of the season yeah and then i'm gonna take us over to vegas for our third last uh phenomenon that we've noticed this nhl season so far and actually it's a not a very phenomenal team i the phenomenon isn't working not a very surprising team for the Vegas Golden Knights this season. The best I could do aside, the obvious one is Marc-Andre Fleury just ripping the starter's job, right? Doing exactly what Vasilevsky's doing in Tampa, but in Vegas, where he had a very clear challenger who is not healthy at the moment. But still, if Lehner was healthy, Fleury would still seemingly be just running from the job. He ripped that bloody sword right from his back to put up this 942 save percentage this season. That's the obvious one. My honorable mention in Vegas is that they don't have a defenseman pacing for more than 18 power play points this season. We were like, is it going to be Petrangelo? Is it going to be Theodore? Which one of these guys is going to quarterback and put up a ton of power play points? The answer so far has been neither. Yeah, and now I think they keep on changing who's injured. Like, I think Petrangelo's hurt right now, and they keep changing also who's on the top power play. So, yeah, it's been kind of a disappointment for both of them, but I still would expect big numbers from Shea Theodore. He would be my pick moving forward for who's the defenseman to own on Vegas. But I'm going to shout out a couple other players on the Golden Knights that are having above-expectation seasons. i got to mention Mark Stone. 27 points in 21 games for a 105-point pace. Like, I knew he was good, but I was not expecting more than a point per game. Like, he's been a pretty reliable point per game guy for the last few years and all of a sudden we're looking at 100 point mark stones this is similar to like a patrick kane or an andre kopitar like i know they're good but i did not expect them to have their best ever season this year and then probably though my biggest surprise has got to be alex tuck who was basically a non-entity last season, only 17 points in 42 games, but is now in the midst of a huge breakout with eight goals in his last seven games, including two yesterday versus the Sharks. He has 12 goals and 19 points in 21 games on the season now for a 74-point pace, and most of the season has been playing on line three with Cody Glass and Nicolas Roy, and that has had nothing to slow him down. Like I said, he had a couple goals on Saturday. If he can stick as a 70-plus point guy from the third line this season, that would be like really impressive. I can't even think of another example of a player who's had this many points from this deployment of course it has to actually last for the whole season but i'm very impressed with what we've seen from alex tuck especially given his deployment very impressed and ride the hot streak and in the top six alex tuck is i think easily a 60 point threat out of the top six i'm not convinced even with this run he's on which has seen him score eight times on 19 shots so he's got a 42 percent shooting percentage uh, which obviously is not anything that's sustainable so i i want the greatest things for Alex Tuck and I'm ready to buy in the second I see something sustainable happen because from everything we've seen the talent is there he's a legit top sixer in the league but unfortunately I I just don't think this is it beyond the end of the hot streak so treat him like Jordan Stahl for now add him to your Mm. roster wait until he goes cold and then you can probably let go unless his deployment changes for the better yeah, I think a big difference is I think there is a decent chance that Tuck's deployment could change. Like, Jordan Stahl is, like, always a guarantee to slow down. Like, yeah. Alex Tuck could just Good keep point. this going. He might need some change of scenery. But for now, he's doing well here, and I would definitely grab him in pretty much any league if he's still out there. All right, Brian, Washington, it's my turn to go first. I'll tell you what I'm not surprised about. I'm not surprised about Tom Wilson getting himself suspended again, <laughs> uh, this time for seven games for boarding Boston's Brandon Carlo. I know that, like, some people are questioning whether he deserves the suspension based on, like, the specifics of the play. 
but obviously uh, the NHL took previous offenses into account, and I don't know if you really want to get into that here. Uh, in terms of the fantasy impact, this is like uh, in Yahoo, right? You can't put suspended players in IR. So this is a very interesting situation if you have him or if you don't have him, right? Because if you have him, you really have to ask yourself, can I withstand like in a head-to-head league, like two to three weeks of not having Tom Wilson on my roster? I guess two weeks, like will uh, and using and wasting a spot, right? If you can withstand it, then hold on because he'll be back for your fantasy playoffs. And he's been like a, an amazing asset, especially in multi-category leagues this year. Um, and then if you have to drop him, like, but I, I would trade him, right? If you can't, if you're in a situation where you need to win over the next couple of weeks, trade Wilson to that team that is comfortable in their situation. And then they could wait and you might get something. So, you know, like, don't drop him for nothing. And then, yeah, also, if you are a, one of these teams that's like locked into the playoffs and you're looking ahead, trade for Tom Wilson. Take a hit for a couple of weeks and he'll be there for you when the time comes. Anyways, that's Wilson. He's not my answer. Uh, but Brian, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to weigh in on that very quickly, just to take your advice a step further about trading Tom Wilson. If you are like needing to contend for the next couple of weeks and you can't afford to throw them away and you're in a head-to-head league, look at the teams you're going to play for the next couple of weeks and maybe toss Tom Wilson that their way. And then you'll have taken one active player off their roster for the week you play them. Oh, sneaky. By the way, I should mention that Washington plays like a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule next week, which means that probably someone was going to get benched. So you might, you might be thinking, oh, I'm losing all these games from Wilson, but it's like you would have had to bench someone on those days anyway. So you might not actually be losing games played. So take a look carefully before you drop someone who's been as valuable as Tom Wilson. Okay. We've already gushed over Nicholas Backstrom's insane run this season recently. He's now up to 26 points in 23 games. That was going into today. I won't even look. I'm sure he did well today as well for the <laughs> Capitals. Uh, so I'm going to go in the other direction and pick Evgeny Kuznetsov, who's missed a bunch of time with COVID, only has two assists in eight games since returning. All right, fine. Let me just check what Washington did today and see if Evgeny Kuznetsov was able to do anything in the 3-1 win. Nope, but Backstrom did have an assist. There you go. So, Kuz- man, like, at this point, like, Kuznetsov hasn't been on the top power play, right? It's been Jacob Verana there. And he's only got a couple of shots per game. Like, he's not really helping you. He's kind of like a Joe Thornton, in that, except, like, not getting points. Uh, so I feel like it might be the time to just not only consider Kuznetsov as the biggest surprise so far this season, but maybe just to flat-out call him a snoozer. Like, he was drafted 114th overall on average in the Cupful this year, and I've got him in my IR, Brian, and I haven't dropped anyone for him. At some point, I'm going to want to make a move again, but I think my move might just be to drop Kuznetsov because he's doing nothing, and he's not giving me any reason to activate him. Yeah, I I I want to tell you all the reasons you're wrong, but I don't really have any. I guess the reasons would be that he could end up on the top power play with Ovechkin, which he did play. Like Ovechkin played both power plays today. It looks like uh, on one of them, his line mates were Sprung, Kuznetsov, and Eller. The other was the Vrana Oshi Backstrom combo, uh, and Kuznetsov could also be with Ovechkin at even strength. And I feel like Washington might feel like that for them to be successful, Evgeny Kuznetsov has to be going. So I wonder if um, they help him get going, uh, which would make it hard to drop him if they do that. But for now, I really do wonder how worth rostering he is. And remember, he's a guy who doesn't give you a whole lot if he's not putting up a point, right? He's not a big shooter at all. He doesn't do any peripherals. Uh, he's down a minute and a half total time on ice compared to last season per night. So it's been a really rough go for him. And he is legit a snoozer candidate. But now for my surprise on Washington, which might be a surprise to you, Elon, uh, I'm going to say Alex Ovechkin pacing for only 30 goals going into today's game, which would be the lowest 82 game total of his career. But at the same time, I'm also going to say don't panic, 
Even though no one is, because I think he's still doing just fine. I was looking at the Kakupful. He's ranked like 25th in total Kakupful points this year, even with this slowdown in goal scoring, which I actually don't think is going to last. Ovechkin is actually seeing more five-on-five minutes a night than he has since 2010-11. That's a full decade ago. And his shot rates, his expected goals, they all look fine. But on the power play, he's converting on 8% of his shots versus the usual 15. Five-on-five, 8% conversion rate versus his usual 13% there. So I guess this is just a time for you to kick tires and see if Ovechkin's manager thinks he's not going to deliver what he hoped. You you might try to buy, but I don't think anyone is really selling Ovechkin. Here's here's the ultimate sell high, Elon. If you can sell James Van Riemsdyk for Alex Ovechkin, you're I mean, laughing. Sure. Yeah, but it's probably impossible. But if anyone can pull it off, please tweet at us, and we will retweet that for sure and give you lots of accolades for your negotiating prowess. Uh, OV score today, by the way. So right <sighs> now, that's the, that's the buy low window slamming shut. <laughs> maybe that thirty goal pace now goes to a thirty three goal pace since it's still a pretty small sample size. Don't forget, he's missed a lot of time, right? Like Washington has missed a lot of time with all those cancellations, and then he also missed time on that four game. I guess, going on the COVID list. So, yeah, I think he's maybe still ramping up. And with Kuznetsov, by the way, he's also, like, coming off of COVID. So we've talked about some other players. Maybe he's not at his best right now. So we don't have to maybe be concerned about Kuznetsov yet for, like, his career. But uh, for this season, like, this is whole, like we said, it's already halfway done. So how long could you wait? Let's go to the last team, the Winnipeg Jets. And I guess I started by picking Kuznetsov on Washington. So you could end things with the Jets telling us your surprise first. Okay. My surprise is, uh, I feel like we're ending with a whimper here. I guess I'll just say that, well, I have two. Neil Pionk uh, has a 62-point pace this season without top power play billing. That's one surprise. And the other is Mark Scheifele breaking his point-per-game mold and is now up to a 113-point pace. And most of that, both for Scheifele and Pionk, I'm thinking is sustainable. So it's pretty exciting time to uh, have either of these guys on your roster. Neil Pionk looks like it was going to be a really disappointing season for him when Morrissey took over the top power play early on. And yet he has just soldiered on. And then Mark Scheifele seems to have found another gear, which is just very happy and exciting. Yeah, I think it's probably North Division effects a little bit. So I don't know if you should expect the same number of points next year when we get back to a regular season. But I'm sure those guys have been amazing. But Brian, don't say we're going to end with a whimper because I haven't gone yet. And I got some fire for the Winnipeg Jets because I think we've got a competitor of who's trying to outdo who for being the worst part of the trade that happened earlier this year between the Jets and the Columbus Blue Jackets because we already talked about Patrick Laine slumping recently. Well, so is Pierre-Luc Dubois. He only has one goal and no assists in his last five games. He showed some signs of life with a couple big games at the end of February. But at this point, Dubois has gone just as cold as Line. Anyone who drafted either of these guys really wishes that this trade never happened. Though I guess Dubois was already having his issues with Columbus, but that was probably due to requesting the trader. Who the heck knows? All I know is that Line has been a big disappointment because people saw what he did in the playoffs last year, probably drafted him thinking that he'll be able to continue that on the Blue Jackets, and it's not going that way. He's start- like I wouldn't drop him yet unless it's a shallower league, and if it's a shallower league, I probably would because he's doing nothing right now, and I don't see a huge reason to expect a big uptick. Like, he's a good player, so obviously the reason is just because he's a good player and he's still going to get an opportunity, but like it's not looking that great right now. It's not, but I think we have to just 
be patient. I'm not ready to write off Pierre-Luc Dupois in Winnipeg. Like last year, like he's been a really steady 60-point player in a system that worked for him in Columbus. And I guess like things are a lot different in Winnipeg than they are in Columbus, right? Remember Columbus being one of the best teams at protecting their goalie. Meanwhile, Connor Hellebuck just habitually thrown under the bus time and time again. Huge high danger shots constantly coming against him. So I wonder if Pierre-Luc Dubois' head is spinning a little bit as he's arrived in Winnipeg, but I'm not about to get down on him at all. He's still got two or three shots a game most of the time, and I am expecting him to at least be... I, I think he's reliable. Well, I don't know, like a 50. Okay, boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so he's ma- going to at least be boring. I, I just feel like the his ceiling is higher now in Winnipeg than it was in Columbus. So I'm here for that to some extent. Remember, he's also young. He's 22 years old. So there's still room to grow. But maybe the floor isn't quite as safe. It's a good point. Also, he hasn't been on the top power play, right? Yeah. It's been Stasny, Wheeler, Shifley, Connor, and Morrissey. And then Dubois has been playing with Ehlers, who's doing fine. But like in Cop, Perot, and Neil Pionk, who you love. But yeah, like, I mean, obviously, he's not nothing. If he was dropped in any of my leagues, I'd probably take a shot on him. But I'm not. Yeah, like you said, like he might just be a 50, 55 point guy this year, which is nothing. In a lot of leagues, that's not rosterable. So take a look and see if you're snoozing on Pierre-Luc Dubois, depending on the value of your free agents. You could tweet at us at Keepin Carlson. Tell us your free agents if you have Pierre-Luc Dubois and you're wondering if you should drop him. Or at- Evgeny Kuznetsov, for that matter. A couple really interesting snoozers to round out this show. Yeah, so we're definitely not going out with a whimper. We're going out with a bang. And we hope that everyone enjoyed this show. Like Brian said, the first of its kind, trying to do something different with this uh, 31 teams, 31 surprises episode. Let us know what you thought of the show. Tweet at us, at Keepin Carlson. You could ask us advice questions, like we said, or you can uh, share your feedback on our product. Uh, if you want to chat with us more often than just a tweet now and then, which we try to get to once a day, uh, why not try out our patron-only Discord community where we're having a lot of fun. You sign up to be a patron for $5 us a month and you get in our community and then you have access to brian myself ben and lewis like dave uh you know all the people all the personalities of keeping carlson and brian and i are there all the time trying to help people out with their different fantasy decisions and just having really fun chats a live game chat is always a really good time so if that sounds at all interesting to you we also have a patron cast coming up which is a bonus show just for the patrons so check it out keepingcarlson.com slash patron and I'm also going to mention a couple other Cuban Carlson family podcasts along with Short Shifts, which already comes in this feed. Go check out a couple others that we love and support and present, starting with Dave Benton's stream scheme. Uh, he shared his list of streamers with me just before releasing his episode today. And uh, I really like his shallow streamer this week. I actually almost added him for today's game. I don't think he's played yet, so I'm not sure if I was right or wrong to not add him. But you can go check it out, Elon. I think you mentioned his name quickly in passing. Uh, the team he plays for, their name starts with a D. And so does his. And that's probably, I was supposed to tease so everyone goes to download it, but go, you won't be sorry. And also our Kakupful Stat Attack podcast, which is all about the Kakupful, where like, if you're like, I'm not even in the Kakupful, why should I listen? Because you are hearing about the trends and happenings from the biggest and best and most competitive fantasy hockey league in the world. You'll hear a couple fun tidbits too, like the big spenders of the week include caged gorillas who spent $22 on a free agent Igor Shostyorkin and the Super Bowlers who happened to have Carter Hart come available in their division. They spent $20 of fab to add him. Imaginary dollars. 
Of course, yeah. Also, I I will shout out the last Stat Attack episode had a really great interview with a couple managing a fantasy team, Khalil and Allison, who uh, I've never really heard of a pair of people that live together like managing a team together to me i can't even imagine doing that i feel like i would just argue and there'd be so much blame (laughs) going around whenever a pick goes wrong it was really fun to hear how they manage that so that was a really fun part and every week there's a different interview with a different couple competitors yeah check that out and the stat attack and the stream scheme and all of our shows yeah if you're not subscribed to keeping carlson we'd of course really appreciate it and you could get those awesome short shifts episodes that ben and lewis drop twice weekly but okay with that brian i think we're done with all of our plugs so let's get the heck out of here let's cue the outro music and why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons a little special shout out this week to kevin a bear jeremy versolo and john newhold for helping us so much behind the scenes with a lot of our content with couple.com with stat attack with our discord server and patron community thanks guys uh, logo art by Brandon Weeb, outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stats, Ricky Balding Hockey, Cat Friendly, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job as always, Brian. Looking forward to hearing short shifts in a couple days and looking forward to talking to you for a regular episode of Keeping Carlson next Sunday. Why you make the word regular sound so exciting. Until then, <laughs> remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>